not just Mars anomalies anymore. It's many different aspects of space and other other things as well that are, you know, kind of run into the same topic. So, yeah, it's a lot of different things now. <clears throat> and I understand that you yourself, you have a, a kind of a history of paranormal? Yeah, I've been in, uh, well, I've, my paranormal experiences actually start when I'm about five or six five years old, and, and I'm a grandma now. I'm five, 57 years old. Um, and I uh, had, uh, you know, as best I can explain it, it's something like that that old show that they used to have, I think it was on MTV, pop-up videos, where I'd be going throughout my day, and I'd be interested in something, and I'd be getting more information coming at me. So it's sort of uh, what, what I learned to term nociv ability, or the ability to know, to just put my observation on something, and get more information from somewhere. And I really didn't know where that somewhere was. So it's been kind of a lifelong quest to find out, you know, where was I getting this information. As well as I was um, being recruited by the clandestine government through a program called Project Talent, which was in California public school systems. I lived in the Bay Area. And it looked like that they were just trying to find bright kids to track them towards, you know, careers, you know, to get, go to college and get a career in, in something, the sciences. Uh, but the behind the scenes of Project Talent was that they were trying to recruit not just intelligent children, but psychic children as well. So as I began to be tested for these programs, I was getting uh, tested on my ESP ability and all kinds of questions that were like off books and just, you know, solving puzzles and having a high IQ, that sorts of things. And so then I personally came from a very religious uh, background. You might even call it a cult. And uh, so I was my experiences and my the belief systems I was being taught kind of clashed quite a bit. So I just kind of put a you know I just kind of was this like um, more of a Christian type of cult, or were the beliefs more like New Age orientated? It was definitely more of a Christian type cult, but it was definitely more of a cult basis because they. There was a lot of things going on other than just, you know, going to church and praying and stuff like that. Some of the belief systems and some of the practices and things that happened were, you know, kind of uh, very dark. Um, we had a pedophilia issue, and I found out it wasn't just a couple of creepy ministers. It was an actual ring. So there was some um, uh, pedophilia and child trafficking issues. There was definitely spousal and family abuse. And, and you know, they basically figured out a way to twist the, the Bible all to heck and spiritual ideas all to heck to justify what they were doing and especially to keep the, um, you know, the uh, victims of it, you know, not talking to anybody and feeling, you know, this this happens, there's all kinds of groups like that now that we're finding out about. But uh, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a clash of value systems at the school I was getting, hey, uh, something that was making me nervous, which is, why do they want to know so much about me? And then at home I was getting this kind of sort of simple answers to everything that wasn't answering the, the questions in my mind. But I kind of put it all aside for quite a long time and then went through a set of experiences that caused me to open all that back up again and look at my experiences. And, you know, I became interested in the fringes. I became interested in if they said, well, don't look at that, there's nothing to it, okay, I want to go look at that. In other words, I've, I feel I've been lied to. I feel I've been betrayed. I'm going to now go find out and investigate what 
are they telling me not to look into? And that was very, you know, I kind of went all over the place with that, like so many people do. Um, I had a very, very significant set of experiences as a UFO experiencer. Um, I, in 1979, I had quite a close-up encounter with um, a family member, and we literally saw something that looked like it was, a, it was a, I don't know what to call it. It looked like to me like a, a Christmas tree ornament <laughs> is what I said all along, but it was a star tetrahedron-shaped craft. So obviously this is 1979. It's not aerodynamic, right? It's fairly low in the sky, kind of like the level of a, of a small airplane about to uh, land, like a Cessna-type plane land in an airport nearby, maybe a couple miles away. Um, uh, and it was uh, going very fast, a lot faster than a regular airplane would, and it was completely silent. So that started me like, you know, the guy on Close Encounters. I'm reading everything I can about UFOs and all of that stuff. And so that was partially opening the, the door, you know, to a certain degree. And then at a certain point in my life, I realized that I'm, I'm, this information was coming from the fact that I'm a contactee and I'm, I'm getting this information. Eventually, I realized I'm in contact with several intelligences. And I would feel happy to say they were very positive. They were not uh, 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 trying to take me in a negative direction spiritually. And they were not, uh, uh, they were making me feel really good about, who I am, whereas pretty much everything else in my life was the opposite. So that was a, a positive experience. I don't have any negative type abduction experiences um, per se, you know. So you actually got to meet the aliens? I I have a clear audience telepathic contact that comes and goes, depending on how much of that I want to engage in my life. I mean, I have to live my life and be a person, so... I can't get totally obsessed about that, but I, I kind of go in and how I engage it is I use a journaling process and that kind of helps me write everything down so I can then go inve investigate these ideas. And uh, I had a, a good mentor told me a long time ago, take off my wow goggles. In other words, don't be just so excited about, oh, I'm having this uh, information come in, but to take the time and uh, investigate information and, you know, consider the source and, where is this going? And, and ask myself, you know, questions, um, you know, of why do I need to know this? And I I don't know if I still know the answer to that question. I mean, I think humanity is in an interesting process right now. Um, some call it disclosure. I have, uh, I have concerns about the use of that word. <laughs> um, but I suppose it's a good one if you're talking about the government trying to tell us what, what it is that they know. And um, so I investigated it quite some time, and then in 2012 I started to do radio. I was on a couple of programs, and I, I'm still kind of a sometimes, uh, you know, co-host on Aquarian Radio with Janet Lesson. She's a great person to, to interview with, and I've interviewed. And part of why I wanted to do that was so I could interview a lot of other experiences and get this kind of a real broad view of what is this thing about. And then uh, on top of that, I, the, I was involved in these anomaly studies, studying, you know, the, the is there patterns in the unusual things going on? Then I ran into it. Now, I'm not good at this, uh, but other people are good at looking at a picture and seeing something unusual in it. So I, I, I got involved in looking at what and, uh, people who find anomalies in space agency photos are finding and and, and 
what's the implications of that. And since I, I don't have that ability, I was actually legally blind when I was a child for about 10 years. Um, I couldn't actually, you know, I don't have that mind coordination to find those pictures. But I can look at what's the pattern of, um, you know, what are the patterns of all these people finding these things? What is the government saying? What is their, you know, I already know that they've got a clandestine quite a few number of agendas. And what are those patterns? And it doesn't hurt that I was, uh, along with my family being religious, my father was a very early conspiracy theorist type guy. So I'm second generation conspiracy theorist. So was, was this like, uh, was, was your father talking about like revelations? No, no, he was, uh, no, that's a different religious tradition. Um, they're much more, um, pretty boring, really, in terms of their Bible beliefs. They're, they weren't particularly interested in prophecy and that sort of thing. I got interested in that myself for quite some time. What, uh, what he was more interested in was he, uh, was, uh, recruited for the FBI, but for different reasons decided not to do that. But as a result, he had a lot of friends that were, talking about things that the government was doing, things that were happening overseas. And he was more interested in, like, the New World Order, uh, the Federal Reserve. I heard all these terms when I was a little kid. I mean, uh, now we know more about it because of the Internet and because of many good writers and researchers. But at the time, in fact, I heard the word Bilderberger, and I thought it was an evil hamburger maker, Bill Day Burger. You know, I, I was kind of convinced it was probably McDonald's. But that was my childlike, you know, <laughs> impression of those <laughs> things whispered in my home, and I was, you know, kind of around. And then as I got older, I asked questions, and uh, everyone thought my dad was kind of kooky, and they, a lot of my family members think I'm kind of kooky. But, um, you know, I'm just... I just have a knack for seeing the patterns and connections between things. And when did you first realize that you had some sort of psychic ability? Uh, quite young. And I was afraid of it because I didn't, you know, really know what that was about. And I think I had two interesting influences. One was I had this religious, um, I would say, non-charismatic. So as I know charismatic type influences would be interested in like gifts of the spirit of different kinds. And so I kind of knew about that, but we weren't, our, our group was not for that. They thought that was um, not a positive thing. And, but then on the other side of that, that would be, you know, from my dad's perspective. However, my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, you know, we're all very psychic Irish women <laughs> from an Irish tradition. And so things would happen. They they had the this ability to always pick the same wrapping paper every Christmas. It was weird. We lived in all different parts of the, you know, country, and they'd manage to always pick at least one that they all picked. It was really strange, silly stuff like that. And they would just say, oh, that's my Irish acting up, you know, and kind of, you know, just blow it off. But a lot of times it came out in – picking up the phone call and knowing one of them was calling the other one. <clears throat> or the other thing was knowing when something happened, if somebody had an accident, if somebody was about to die, if somebody died, if, you know, just kind of little tidbits of the family, sort of pre-gossip gossip, you know, <laughs> kinds of things like that. Just, just If you love somebody, you, you kind of tune into them, you know. And then, um, like I said, I kept getting all this information, so it was kind of an information way that I was picking up things. And later, you know, I didn't question the 
source of it that much. I just said, okay, well, that's interesting. And a lot of times it was things that didn't make sense to me as a child. I mean, it was things about, uh, I guess because my, my dad was interested in world events, it tended to be around world event, you know, kind of meta types of things of humanity sort of is where that channel was. And then it was probably, oh, um, uh, let's see, 12 years ago, I had a, um, I don't know how to explain it. It was like uh, I had a clash between my my belief systems that I was told and my experiences, and I had something that I can only explain as like a mind tornado of clashing things, and I'm sitting there going, what is it that I believe? I, I don't know. I was very confused. And at that moment, this is a very strange story, but I'll just throw it out there. I I literally heard a audible, high-pitched ping, you know, tone inside my skull. And it, it was a kind of a pitch like those little Casio watches that we used to all have that have the, you know, if you have a watch and it has a little alarm on it that's high-pitched, almost only you and the dog can hear it, you know. Was it like thing. a really high-pitched, oscillating sort of whine? No, it was it was a ping. It was kind of like a bell ringing, sort of hmm. like it, a, a hit and, a, and then a, a few minutes. And then I was really disoriented for a few minutes. It's kind of dizzy and kind of like the mind tornado stopped and what the heck was that? And then I literally had that, that same voice telling me information. It was saying that what I had experienced was that somewhere along the line I had an implant that was suppressing my psychic abilities or my acceptance of them and that I had just broke it. I had just had so much emotional energy I had somehow uh, broken through. And I the next year or two was a lot more information that came in as well as some telepathic contact with um, different intelligences and with actually with ancestors as well. I'm part Native American, so some of my Native American ancestry I started that started flowing in, and, and some of that kind of stuff helped me understand some of what was going on with me because I didn't have any frame of reference at that point. Do you know who put the implant in? I am fairly certain that it had to do with my being uh, recruited at the school and that I now have broken through some memories of being taken off campus to a couple of places to be given even more tests. They were doing most of them at the school, but I got taken to a couple of places, and I believe I found it, but I'm not going to say anything until I know for sure, but I believe I found it. And it was associated with the Rockefellers, just to say that. It was the facility that they, it was associated with them. And um, that uh, I did not like the recruitment. It did not feel good. I did not like the questions they were asking me. I, I, something was going, ding, 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 don't say any more. So I shut up. I didn't say any more to the, to the grown-ups. You know, I knew I should not talk to the grown-ups about this stuff. And uh, I clammed up. And so I think as a result of my disengaging the process and, and not cooperating, I think that something happened during that time. I haven't completely broken through, but it definitely felt like it was a kind of a mechanical, etheric type device. But it definitely made a physical sound, not just a, a, a 
you know, a memory of a sound. It was definitely a physical sound inside a very odd place, and probably they put it up through my nasal passages because that's about where it felt like it was, like at the top of your sinuses. So it, it may have been uh, human collaborators that put it in there. Yeah, I always felt like it was some kind of etheric ET human collaboration, you know, military-industrial alien complex, whole, the whole operation was, but I think they had to, quote-unquote, deal with me. <laughs> That you know, we gotta, we, we we can't control her the way we were trying. We're gonna have to just suppress her, and that was easy because I was already having conflict with my belief systems at the time, and I was glad to maybe even have that suppression. It, the the suppression just went where well, I wasn't real super active with it, but I was very curious. So whenever I, you know, of course, you know, it used to be when you would look up information like this, you wouldn't even find it, you know. Then when you go to the library, the library system wouldn't wouldn't have it. And then as our information systems got, you know, I became a, a very early adopter. In fact, I was actually in the computer science industry with a small two-person shop doing software development for 20 years. So I was a very early adopter of the Internet. And of course, I watched as all the, you know, this torrent of heart, uh, unavailable information came online, and I was sitting right on the front row so I could see what, what was this all about. So I was able to, you know, just absorb like a sponge as much as I could on anything related to this at all um, so that I had the context to understand, okay, here's the sort of the game, this is the game board here. Now what do I think about it based on, my contact experiences based on my own experiences and observation based on research. You know, I, I do halfway decent research. I was in computer science and I did uh, technical writing, so it was really good at, you know, writing a report and keeping notes and those types of things. Was Now, because you did have the a seeing issue, the blindness, do you think that this may have enhanced your psychic ability? I think that's quite true. I, uh, what happened was I had a, um, well, this is a very interesting story because I, I didn't really notice that that was a factor until I've kind of pieced it together. Um, I had, like, really, really severe astigmatism. So I wasn't blind like dark. I just Everything looked like a watercolor painting that you splash water onto. Everything was all run together, super fuzzy. I, I was trying to see using color the best that I could. And it didn't start out right away. It's, it, it came on as I'm getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It came on from the age of three, and I started getting, you know, big, thick Coke bottle type glasses at a, a kindergarten screening. I couldn't see past my nose, and I ended up going to a specialist in San Francisco, and I got glasses at about uh, six years old. And then it started to be quite a bit better when I was like 10 or 12. But what happened, what was very interesting is I didn't realize I did this. I mean, I had to remember this. But I literally, as soon as I got glasses, I could read. I mean, that day. I mean, within days, I could read. Not only could I read, but I could read the King James Bible as well. I mean, it wasn't just like a, you know, C-spot run kind of thing. And... Because of some of these experiences that I've been walking myself through, and I'm going to try to write a book about them that comes out next year, um, I was looking through, this is called POV. So I'm putting myself, my, my, I can remember my dad reading me a book, uh, some kitty book, you know, 
a princess book, I think, probably. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking through his eyes at the book. I'm actively taking part of my consciousness. I'm putting it over in his perspective, and I'm looking at the book. And that's why I can start beginning to read, because I can see the letters through his eyes. Okay, that's a new one. <laughs> so, yeah, I was literally using my, my uh, uh, what I call POV, point of view, consciousness uh, ability to read. And I found out not too long ago, of course, in India, they believe in the third eye or, the you know, the sight through your third eye. They're actually experimenting with teaching young children how to read using their third eye. So they take blind children and they say, well, we know your eyes don't work, you know. But what can you see through your third eye? And they're literally teaching these kids how to see with with that part of their, you know, we're our body is more of, more of a radio tuner than it is an Android robot we're in. You know what I'm saying? It has uh, uh, abilities. I I think these are are uh, abilities built into us or created into us uh, that we all have these various gifts and abilities, but that we have a certain worldview that says. Uh, I can only see with my two physical eyes, a very very materialistic view of the body. You know, that this is all there is, that my spirit goes away somewhere. I mean, I think I think there's more going on <laughs> with that, and I think that will be the science of the future. I mean, I think we're, we're beginning to find out there's way more to the human mind and consciousness than maybe we've known from before. Have you ever had any telepathic experiences? Oh, yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> In fact, in fact, it's, I, I have to actually say, okay, this has to stop for a while. I have to go to sleep, or <laughs> I have to go, you know, do my uh, work that I'm doing. I mean, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like having the radio on all the time. <clears throat> Once I, oh, well, at first I was so excited that I reopened that back up that I just went totally in it. But I ended up sort of in a state of walking between two worlds in a sense, where I was kind of in what the Irish call the other world, and I was in my body here, but I was in, you know, I was like walking around in this physical 3D thing that we're in, and but my mindset was in all kinds of other places, interacting with all kinds of other beings, and uh, I found out you really can't live that way. You, you've got to stop and be a human, so I kind of like said, okay, i got to, be real, because cause it, it's um they call it disassociation. It, 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 some people think that oh, that's all it is is disassociation, but I mean, what I can do when I do that is is a little harder to explain. And the information that I get, and I began to learn about being a psychic from the telepathic contact that I had. That taught me more about how telepathy and telepathy, it's actually feelings-based quite a bit, works more than I could find in books, definitely. Yeah, that's something I, I like to talk quite a bit about on this program that that I feel that isn't covered nearly enough out there. Uh, psychic abilities are very real, regardless of what anybody out there believes or thinks. They are very real, just like the comic books, just like the X-Men. It is a very real thing. It, this is reality we're talking about. Not only that, but the... Um the study of people like that has been going on for quite some time, <clears throat> and in the United States, uh, it kind of kicked up a notch uh, during the time of the Cold War, which is why they were recruit recruiting through the schools at the time 
we could you know we had the bomb we couldn't lob bombs at each other so we we didn't go with conventional warfare which wasn't going to end well so now we had this spy versus spy time during that time which which was when i was growing up and we the united states uh, of course, after World War II, we got a bunch of Nazi scientists that were studying not just rocket science, but also the mind and mind control. And we got some of those scientists, and the Soviets got some of those scientists, and the United States is a bit more puritanical and sort of shied away from that topic. The Soviets went into what they call parapsychology, just, you know, pedal to the metal, and began to have... Uh, remote viewing programs and things like that uh, become much more advanced, much quicker than, than it did in the United States. So when the United States found that out, of course, and especially as they began to realize what this remote viewing thing was all about, they accelerated those programs in the United States, and they actually <clears throat> found which of their Nazi scientists were involved in mind control and the studies of such things like that. They also studied um, occult, uh, ritualistic, organizations, anyone, oh, they studied um, um, spiritualist groups, Christian spiritualist groups, you know, that believed in the charismatic gifts. They studied, um, if you look at the list, and it's somewhere out there, the list of programs under MK Ultra, and the reason why it was MK was it was mind control, but it was spelled the way the Germans did, with a K, MK Ultra. You look at that list of programs that's been declassified, and it's, it's, it's not, I think it's 250, something like that. Most of the, the various programs that are listed there are substances, so mind-altering substances like LSD, like mescaline, like DMT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's kind of a weird list because it just goes on. I mean, I don't even know what some – I had to go look at what some of these things were because I wasn't a druggy person, you know. And then it's going along da 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 da, -da children's camps. I'm like, What? <laughs> it's going, you know, hardcore drug, hardcore drug, children's camps. And I, then I uh, I hope we get a chance to bring Brett on because he actually went, uh, he's my research partner in Phila, and he went to a, a camp where he was, uh, he went through mind control training at a camp. Is he um, there with you now? Yeah, yeah, he can be on the phone. Are you there, Brett? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Brett. Yeah, so this Welcome yeah, to End of Days Radio. He's also got a history in this, too, and, and if that's what you want to talk about, we can tell you lots of stuff. Go ahead. Sure, Brett. You want to introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about it? Um, sure. My my name's Brett Shepard, and uh, my, I'm the founder of the Lunar Anomaly Research Society on on Facebook that I founded in, in 2010 around the same, well, uh, a little bit after um, Andrew made the Mars Anomaly Research Society, and um, it, it, wouldn't have, I, it wouldn't have been any big deal, but I, I, I called my re research society the Moon Anomaly Research Society, which is the same acronym as Mars. So Andrew, you know, contacted me and said, you know, what about, how about Lunar Anomaly, you know, or whatever. And, and it was, it's, it's really um, not a big deal because they didn't start it to find anomalies, you know, in images or anything like that, per se. Um, what I was interested in is the public perception of the images, because when I was 15 years old, um, a lady from Stanford University came to my art class at the end of the day and showed me hours of moon and Mars images, and she said that they were done by 
several different artists. You know, so she was pointing out the style of the art and everything else. What was interesting about this is, is uh, 40 years later, well, 35 years later, um, I started looking at the um, the lunar orbiter images from NASA, and embedded in these images, I saw every single. I have a photographic memory, so I saw every single image that that lady showed me in 1982 embedded in these images. And every single one of them was in there. And it, a lot of them are very good artwork, you know, as, as far as that goes. And what was interesting and what I figured out is that NASA has absolutely no idea how those got in there. They have no idea whatsoever. Now, what's interesting about that is NASA has, um, for many years, probably from the beginning, has corrupted their images, and they have not shown people, you know, what is actually on the moon or Mars. And I know this for a fact because their um, their their image image provenance, um, all the way back from the beginning, when they had magnetic tapes you know, that were literally developed in space by Lunar Orbiter um, and other projects. Um, they they claim that, that all of those original magnetic tapes were destroyed. Now, I know that they can, they can actually manipulate the images, make a new magnetic tape, and send it out to the public or to universities. You know, one of them is a contracted University of Arizona, um, which actually is now um, texturing images and developing new images from CGI, and they're passing it off as new um, space missions that don't exist. And another thing that happened was uh, the when they when they mapped the moon um, from the um, the the naval Clementine mission. This is kind of interesting because um, I I took I took that and I compared it to the the Chinese um, Chang Two Change Two mission, and this map is exactly the same as the Clementine map. And all they did was add textures and such, but the lighting is exactly the same. The shadows are exactly the same. The the uh, level off the surface of the moon around 16 miles off the surface is exactly the same. Now, that's impossible because the Chengdu mission was said to have been um, done at a different lunar phase. So the sun was hitting the lunar surface at a different angle. So that that's something that's very interesting. So they are altering the perception of what's out there in space for the public. Are, are you saying that the uh, NASA is working with the Chinese space program? They're, they're all working together, all of them, all hmm. around the world. In fact, they created them. They created new programs. So uh, all of these programs, and what's interesting about it, is, and the, especially for the anomalous out there, uh, is that they don't, care um, so much if you find an anomaly or something like that, as long as you consider their images real. So we're talking about the control, mind control of public perception. 
So it's very it's very interesting. And you know, they they went to to Congress to get more money or whatever. And all of their all they're really showing us um is a database of images. See, we really actually went there. See, we really actually did this because we have the pictures. I and remember what's seeing anomalous one to picture. me is the public perception of them. You know, um or the perception issue on them. Yeah, because I remember seeing we, one we picture have, where... Uh, we have Ingo Swan. She was talking about... Um, Karen was talking about remote viewing. Mm -hmm. Ingo Swan remote viewed the moon and saw something very different that was on the moon. And an eyewitness that... Um, his name was uh, William Tompkins, was working for TRW and developed the S-band antenna, and, and they were sitting in a room actually looking at the real moon images and real moon video footage of them all the way, you know, on the way to the moon, in space. They saw giant craft, you know, uh, running around, uh, flying around the uh, module, all the way, followed them all the way to the moon, and the smaller craft um, parked on the surface, with the smaller craft were also extremely large compared to the, the little, you know, men and the little uh, whatever. But they were lined up along the crater, um, so they had help um, getting to the moon. So it was a, an actual secret space program already. So everything NASA was, was hired to do, and, and their, their whole thing was propaganda from the beginning. It was to alter public perception, because there's no way that they could show them what's really out there in space on the moon or Mars. Now, that you know, the, the thing is, is that there are eyewitnesses, you know. We can't really look at these pictures with any clear validity because we already know that, that they were tampered with. I know this for a fact because I've seen, you know, I worked with Ken Johnston Sr., and, and he had a whole, um, and also Donna Heron, and, and they gave me actual images that were developed. This is what's interesting. They were developed um, in the 60s, okay, so they were already a done deal. You can't fake that. It's already on emulsion. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So they, they can change the image all day long and make a new magnetic strip. So their actual originals are worth less than those that were already put on emulsion in the 60s. And they already they, they have the image numbers on them and everything else that, that basically tell you what mission and what date and everything else. So that's what's interesting to me is the the fact that they are altering public perception and what they're hiding. That's what's interesting. Uh, yeah, this is very interesting. I do remember seeing a picture of one of the Mars missions. It's actually kind of famous. It's the one where you can actually see a rat in the picture, almost as yeah, if... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's a rock. <laughs> you know, it, it really is. It's a rock. It's not a rat. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And and if it is a rat, that begs the question: Did they film it on Earth? <laughs> yeah, I, I really have to wonder. There's a lot of people out there that um, they say everything that NASA produces is CGI. I, me myself, I've gone on YouTube. I've looked at just about every space or moon video that I could find. I mean, you could really spend hours doing it, including ones from Russia. And right, I have to right. agree, pretty much everything that I've seen does either look like old-fashioned movie magic or more modern CGI. Right. Like they they took acetate and refilmed it, right? 
I, I'd like to butt in a little bit. Oh, go ahead, Karen. Go ahead. <laughs> the reason why is because uh, I want to stress something. This is really, really important. Is that uh, it's important to to know that anomalists don't always agree, and that's okay. It's important to know there's multiple theories about the moon, the moon missions, the Mars, the Mars missions, and that's okay because we're not the ones that are trying to prove anything. And we don't we it's, we've got a situation where we're being dealt what Brett and I have called a complexity. We have a lot of different data that doesn't match up. But what the mainstream science has done, they're saying, "Okay, you see that thing that you think is a squirrel, you've got to prove to us that that's a squirrel." And I thought about that, what a mind op that is because NASA and the space agencies, and this is really important because they like to quote Carl Sagan's quote of another guy named Marcello Trussi, and they want to say, extraordinary claims requires extraordinary proof. What I'm about to say is a really big deal. We're not the ones trying to claim claim that that's a, a squirrel and prove it because we can't. We have to question the origin of the pictures. They are the ones with the extraordinary claim that they sent men to the moon, that they sent cameras to the moon, that they sent cameras and rovers and everything else and orbiters to Mars. They have the extraordinary claim. And when we, the public, who paid for all this, we say, hey, wait a second, there's something wrong here. It's not our job to prove what we're observing. We're seeing all kinds of inconsistencies. We have all kinds of different opinions of what those inconsistencies are, and that's okay. The ones that have the the extraordinary claim are the guys that are taking billions and billions of dollars all over the world in all the space agencies that we're paying for with our tax dollars, and they're just giving us a handful of digital pictures that are tampered with in so many different ways. So I want to make sure... That that we don't offend anybody if we if they thought that was a squirrel they still do that's fine that's not that we're not trying to shoot anybody down um, sometimes I'll look at something and I'll go oh that's fake you know but but to somebody else they've got some reasons and that they've looked into that you know it, it could be very compelling if we had a couple of hours to sit down and chat about it and that's the nice thing about the anomaly. Um, conference type things is we actually have a chance to sit down and ask those questions and we try to do that in a very positive supportive mutually supportive way all of us are finding out that we're not being told the truth we don't know exactly what the truth is but we need to hold our government and our space agencies and the money that they're taking from the public to account so sometimes Brad will say something, and he'll be like, uh, you know, our conversations together are fun because he'll be like, that's bad. And I'll go, no, what is it? That we, don't, we don't have any ill feelings toward each other. It's just that's what you think, and that's what I think. Let's find out more about it. So I want to be sure that I say that um, because I think that we should be more kind to each other than those agencies are being to all of us. I have actually... I am aware of Ingo Swan. I did read his book, Penetration, and that's the book where he actually talks about what he saw on the moon. And that is some very interesting stuff. He he reported seeing some um, strange-looking aliens as well as some sort of mining operation. Yes, that's correct, and that, that really is going on. That That's that's on the, 
the far side of the moon, we have a couple of bases with relay dishes on the near side that the NSA works with, and they get signals, you know, from other planets. There's some major Mars and um, Zeta Reticuli and other areas, and those signals are are, are beamed back um, to Earth at Arecibo, you know, and and the very large array in New Mexico. And what's interesting about their communications is that they're 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 graphic communications, so they they don't rely on sound so much um, as as we do, you know. So they'll they'll actually send pictures back of of what's going on. Um, by now, um, it, what's interesting about that is that what I'm talking about was happening in 1924, and by now they're they're on conference calls, you know. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where um as far as, you know, did they go to the moon and Mars? Um did they do some of these things? Uh, yes, they did, you know. And and it's all been a quite a clandestine secret. They've had extraterrestrial help, which is another embarrassment because they can't do it on their own. You know, there there's things to consider. There's um radiation, there's um huge pockets of gas, you know, there's all kinds of things out there in space that we don't quite understand. So it would be irresponsible for us to go up and and light rockets off in space or something when there's a big gas pocket flying by, you know. So there there are some of those things to consider. Um, Yes, there there, there are still people out there. there. There are people that live underground in Venus, apparently, there are some on on Mars and on the the far side of the moon and th- these are not um the people that are they're talking about these things are are not um, people you know that uh, of low quality or something you know they the these are people that have, have studied these things all their lives and when I when I say that, that they didn't want to show us what was on the moon and the backside of the moon or anywhere on the moon, uh, that that's the truth, you know, because there's already people there. Um, some of them don't look like us, you know, which is another thing. And these are not interdimensional beings or anything like that. I, I'm actually in contact with those types as well that live right on top of us, and. These are these are beings that are are three dimensional, just like you and me. You know, so they have their own problems. They they care very little uh, about our um, some of our issues. And I'll tell you who really cares about the issue of us lighting off nuclear weapons in particular, or experimenting with some kind of um, quantum energy with light. You know, is the interdimensionals that live right on top of us. And these are beings that can pop in and out of our reality with energy, you know, and they use they use light. So when we light off a nuclear weapon or something like that, light goes through all dimensions, and it actually affects their world. So that's one of the issues, and that's why that they've been disabling every single nuclear weapon we have on Earth. When when you hear politicians saying that they're threatening to nuke the other guy or what they're they're all on board they're all friends with each other that's entire propaganda for the public because there are no nuclear weapons they cannot light them off they have an incredible insecurity from that 
you know so so they they want uh, us to think that they're all powerful still and they're simply not now these interdimensionals they don't care if we light off um um you know conventional weapons all day long they don't care if we go and 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 take swords and fight each other in the streets they they don't care about those things because they consider it a learning process but when we affect their world with light then they have an issue is this conspiracy with NASA and the cover-up, is this a Freemasonic conspiracy? Yeah, partially. Um, some of it's Kabbalic. Some of it has to do with um, hiding um, some of the ancient history and how we communicated with these other worlds. So, you know, you know one of them you might be interested in is the, um, the, the Lesser Keys of Solomon, which was based on an actual other book, a much older book, um, that was in the pranas and the Brahmin tradition or whatever. And these uh, Assyrians, you know, had, had spirits of their dead kings, you know, and all of that. Um, some of them were goddesses. Some of them were Ashira, which was uh, turned to, um, into, or Astarte, that was turned to Astaroth, you know, and masculinized. So, you know, some some of that stuff was happening as well. And all of these are based on um, basically um, spirits from the sky, that sort of thing, and also nature's spirits. So there there was an ancient astrology going on that um, NASA briefly touches on on their websites and such when they talk about history. But, you know, they, these are some of the things that have been hidden as well because... There really is no time. Time is a is a fiction. It's a it's something that we created as human beings to try and measure something that we don't really understand or can't see. And time is really um, uh, nonlinear, you know. So it doesn't go from here to there and then start over again and go from here to there. It, it's actually nonlinear and multidimensional as well. So that's the issue. Now, you know, we, we have, we, we, you know, if we're, we're to understand some of these properties or whatever, we'll have to understand that, that now is then, and it's the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. It, it, would you say that there is really an Illuminati out there? No. Not like we think. No, it's a, not like the conspiracy that was propagandized and developed right after 2001, you know, and onward. Um, there's, there, there is a cabal, and the, the word cabal comes from Kabbalah and all of that. So, so there is an ancient cabal, Brotherhood of the Snake and all of these other organizations. It's, it's very interesting when you look at the history of this or whatever. Um, uh, some of them come from uh, Turkey, um, some of these old older cultures and that. Um, um, one of them was the, the Chaldeans, and they were Brahmin, you know, from for, to start out with. You know, they they got a lot of their. It was the around the time of the Kingdom of Kush, and as you know, they've 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 actually made Kush a person in the Bible. You know, you know, some so it's just a, an example of that. So they take you know Nimrud became Nimrod, you know, and all of that. So they actually um, a Brahmin became Abraham. 
a lot of people don't know these things, you know, but they actually symbolized that like a whole land of people and called it a person. Like, you know, the tribe of Dan coming from Sudan and the Kush, Kush Empire. So there's there's things that go way back that that people really don't understand because of the propaganda and and the all um misinformation and alteration of public perception. So so that that's the one thing that they try to do is hide because these these people are very insecure. You know, uh How do you feel how do you feel about Jesus and Christianity? Well, you know, um um to to give it any credence or whatever um um Christianity and all of the the major religions are are based on the Brahmin traditions. And it was it was somewhat of a a tweaky perversion to create god kings. You know, so so basically there was you had the the rishas who were communicating with these these interdimensionals or space people or whatever um that they considered gods but none of these people not even not even the story in the Jesus story or whatever do they come out and say i am a god do they no right <laughs> so so if you if you follow that right there um these reaches are are the ones man is the one that is creating god in his image for lack of understanding so you know these are people that were trying to to tell them how the earth works you know this is how this is how the earth is supposed to work and there's morals and all of these things the perversion started when when people wanted power over other people so they they um invoked um, the spirit of whatever god king or king or, or god or whatever to become a king, you know, of these people. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, one one thing that I wanted to ask you about, uh, because we, we know that a lot of this imagery is indeed fake. Uh, are, no, you know, sort of fake. It's sort of fake. It, is NASA or are humans in general are a, are they able to get past the Van Allen belt? Yes, but um, they they can't do it on their own. They have to have extraterrestrial help or secret space program help by now, you know, to get past that um, that radiation because they can't you know do it in a tin can, you know. There's there's all kinds of dangers. There's micrometeors and all kinds of stuff, you know. So. They they definitely have to have some kind of force field type technology to get through that. Is the flat Earth conspiracy is that designed to cover this all up? Yeah, it's part of the. It, it's an alteration of the perception. You know, it's just like the anomalous thing, and you know, it's it's not so much that the Earth is flat. Who cares which shape the Earth is in? You know what I mean? Um, if someone needs you to believe that the Earth is flat, then they have sort of an agenda, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, you know, and I don't know um, if it's flat or egg-shaped or anything else. And also, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't. It doesn't prove that that we don't have a space program. It doesn't prove anything, you know. So. It, let's yeah, say that the I, I Earth was some kind of big flat that. thing or pancake or whatever, and it had a dome on it, and everything that we see in the sky is an illusion. 
my question is, is that since that came from fundamentalist religious traditions, why would they think that their God made a pancake with a big dome over it? Why would he make a cosmos that was completely false? Right, exactly. That's, what would be the point? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of cosmology, in other words, do you get out, out of a different idea of different types of ideas? Right. Um, and and I want to go to a little bit different angle than when you were talking about the Illuminati question, because Brett tends to go with a historical perspective. He's actually working on a per, uh, a presentation he's going to be doing in October about that. But I go to a little bit different way of looking at it. Not so much. Because the problem with trying to look at history is there's so much distortion. It gets really confusing. Um, Whose version of you are you going to believe? Um, They keep changing the names. You have a a group of people that live in the same land for for five, six, ten thousand years, and they have, you know, hundreds of different names of the same people who lived in the same valley. You know, so that's another problem is uh, uh, the, the name game of history. So I, I look different of just let's look in the in the ever present now right now of of the game that humanity's playing, and I look at it um and, and I'm going to be talking about this in upcoming presentations. Um, I do something called overcoming the hierarch mind, and it's the idea of uh, uh, what does the construct energetically of hierarchy look like because ultimately <clears throat> it's a hierarchy that will not only tell you what they think something is, but if they can, they will enforce it. So we're now talking not just an intellectual group of ideas, you're also talking about an army, some force, some threats of violence, uh, you know, um, some territorial stuff, some property stuff. It's, it's looking at how human beings right now are playing the game of hierarchy. And what I, you know, being from the computer background, I actually think that the construct, to me, feels like a fractal pyramid. So if you look that up on Google, you'll see it's a pyramid made up of little pyramids, made up of little pyramids, made up of littler ones. Uh, No wonder we have so many of them on the earth. You know, we have so many pyramids, thousands and thousands of pyramids. There's something to that structure, Um, not just the fact that it's uh, very heavy and it's very strong and we still have them. That's one factor. But the other thing is is the pyramid is... You know, when you look at uh, the monetary system or or these secret groups or any kind of hierarchy, it tends to be this pyramidic shape. And every pyramidic uh, organization, and the, you know, the way I learned, you know, conspiracy from my dad was that it was the the World Bank. You know, is the, is the financial aspect of it, and it's made up of these thirteen families that have the control of resources and. I don't know if uh, 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 that's not untrue, you know what I'm saying? But but the question I'm asking now is, why do we continually organize ourselves in hierarchies? And what does that do for us positively or negatively or even spiritually or not so spiritually, good, good and evil kinds of issues? In other words, how does that make us view our world, each other, and how do we behave? And how do we organize ourselves? And so what I'm looking at is um, what what Brett was kind of talking about, about these God kings. So even the, you know, I was enough of a Bible student to know that there's a difference between the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible that was the King James Bible. 
And one big difference is there's the number of, of individual stories in there is less. It's, it's like a library with less books, you know, number one. But the criteria that they created the King James Bible was because King James was part of the break-off group of monarchs who were breaking off uh, out from the influence of the Vatican and the Catholic Church, and they wanted to assert the divine right of kings. So we're now back to that God-King question. So now you have documents and word choices that were based on kind of a fundamental impression that they wanted to give because we were in the Protestant Reformation, so we're now not just having the, the books, the Bible in Latin or the, and the Hebrew Bible in Hebrew, but they wanted to do it, do it in uh, Swedish and English and Spanish and, and all the different languages. And the nuance of the King James Bible was to uphold the divine right of kings. That was where he was going with that. That's why he paid for that version to happen. And that's not negating the good stuff that's in there. It's not the point. The point is, is we need to be careful that are we, um, you know, enforcing and, and, and whatever ideas that are to say somebody, hey, I'm the boss of you, <laughs> and, you know, maybe force you into things that you wouldn't choose on your own. If you, do you really have free will? Do you really have spiritual? You know, we all have an accountability to whatever we believe. Um, uh, and so are we allowed to choose that? Or is there these other processes that are not just, they used to be just believe this or else, and, and you know, top of your head. Now it's a lot more subtle and a lot more complicated. So it, it's, what I look at it, it's like a big labyrinth. It's like a maze. So now, if the, the mind control that we have now is not uh, do this or we'll chop off your head. It's not that simple. Or I'm right and you're right, and you go back and forth in like a pendulum, right? It's more like um, they already pre-designed the direction that you were going to go in. So you, it's a labyrinth that has no uh, way to get in. You're born into it, and it's a labyrinth with no way out. Um and what it is is, oh, uh, well, I had a bad experience with um, these people here, so I'm going to rebel against that, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to espouse those ideas for a while. And then, oh, well, those guys treat me bad, too, so I'm going to go over here. Or, uh, you know, I didn't get to have my own uh, um, ideas about things, or I'm going to go over here. And we do that until, uh, you know, in this case, the rat's not trying to get the cheese or get out of the maze. The rat just runs out of lifespan. You know, we just try this and this and this and this. And what um, my contact experiences are telling me is, is, you know, I really don't want people like me to talk to everyone out there. And I think the least useful word in the world is the word they. So we say, oh, what do those, those they alien want us to know? What do they want? What is, that's like saying they humans. I mean, what kind of humans? American humans, Chinese humans, Russian humans, female humans, male humans, uh, you know, people who have an apple, people who have a PC. I mean, you know, it, it, what are you talking about? You need qualifiers. And that's exactly true with what's out there is there's all kinds of different beings, different civilizations, different types of beings all with their own collective agendas and ideas and the same as with humans. Do you say humans are all bad or all good? Do you say aliens are all bad or all good? Well, that's not a useful question. Karen, well, what, yes. what do you think of this idea? You got me thinking. What do you think of the idea that 
a lot of people out there will say all aliens are a demonic deception. It's all Satan, a.k.a. Lucifer, playing a big trick on us to make us think that there's aliens, when in reality it's all just like fallen angels and demons. Oh, believe me, I've thought about this question because I did come from a religious background. And, okay, so setting aside for the fact that I've interacted with them, so I have a sense of, which ones do have a negative orientation, but that's not the totality of it. There's also ones that have a positive, even more benevolent than we are as human beings on an average day, you know. So I've had those experiences. But just putting those aside for a minute, the, co- the concept that, um, that aliens might be uh, fallen angels comes from the idea that there is this celestial host that preexisted before humanity was created and that one group of them fell, in a sense, you know, went negative, right? And that was one-third of them. Well, now you still have two-thirds of beings that were not ostensibly that. Just taking that story, where that comes from, and say, wait a second, okay, you've got some that did, but not all of them did. And so I think, I think um, the idea, to me, this is my view, so far my working theory, to say that all aliens are demons is inaccurate you need to talk to experiencers a broad group of them and you'll get all you'll get a a range of responses and number two not only inaccurate uh, it's also unhelpful but it also serves a purpose if you say don't ever talk to those beings out there here is the benefit of talking to some other any being a person or another being in a sense is you get comparative anthropology. So right now, uh, uh, play, you know, places like North Korea, don't talk to the outside world on the Internet. Don't talk to the Americans. Don't talk to anybody outside our country. Well, why? Well, because you're going to find out, if you just go south to South Korea, that these people are living a very different uh, existence and economic situation and uh, education and uh, um, quality of life compared to outside that. So I think if you say everything's a demon, now now you don't compare anthropological situations. When you begin to interact with all these different kinds of beings, you begin to realize that maybe Earth is also not the pinnacle of creation. We've got serious problems that you see in your home, in your community, across the planet. That's obvious. But we also find out how other uh, civilizations and beings solve those problems, or how they approach it, or how do they look at it that's different. So it serves the purpose of us being like North Korea, being locked in our own game, and not seeing, are there any other ideas out there? So I would I would question just the, the validity based on, okay, if you say it's all bad, you cut it off, it's nothing, you know nothing now, versus opening it up, being cautious, having some discernment, um, you know, being sensible. <laughs> yeah, one of one of the, the problems with that or whatever, um, to, to say that they're all demons or all whatever, um, was a very subtle thing in the creation of the hierarchy, you know. So the, in order to have a duality, you have to have adversary creation. So what these people did... Um, these kings or whatever has said that's the bad guy. So uh, in essence, it's a witch hunt, you know. And if there really were witches and demons and, and fallen angels and all of that, they wouldn't appear 
to you with horns and go rar, you know. They would if that was true in the morphogenetic field, they would appear to you as an angel. They would appear to you as the good guy. So there's the there is the complexity with that kind of a witch hunt and adversary creation, which is a complete fiction. It is propaganda. It is a it, it is a, a perversion of perception. Are, are there and, and, yeah. are there negative reptilian aliens out there? Yes. Yeah, I believe so. I I, I think you know they they were um, the last I heard they were they were kicked out. Um, I'm I'm not sure where to Andromeda or something like that. No, and I I disagree based on my experiences talking to other people. There are also positive ones. Reptilian. Yeah, they're positive. There's a type. Ones, yeah. It's like we're sort of simian based, you know, or right. others might be insectoid. I think saying a entire race is bad, is just as useless as when we do that based on skin color here. Well, yeah, I mean, we have no. we have reptiles on Earth, you know, so so the, the possibility is there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> At the very least, we've, <clears throat> we've had intelligent reptiles on Earth, you know. In fact, to quite a few people interviewing that have had positive experiences with reptilian-based beings. Yeah, I've heard that as well, that um, sometimes perhaps these uh, – re- hello? Are you guys still there? Hello, I'm here. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've heard that some. it might be that these reptilian beings are being used as scapegoats. Right. Like I said, adversary creation, right? Yeah, yeah very true. Right. So, you know, if, so one one faction or whatever might want power over another faction – so they'll create the devil in them, you know. And and a good example of that is what happened with Athens and Crete. Athens uh, made all kinds of propaganda about a minotaur and how they killed their babies and all of this other stuff, which is partially true, but it wasn't within the same context. And, you know, so so basically they invented a monster out of Crete. You see what I'm saying? Uh, Caller, are you there? Yes. Karen? Caller? Hello. Yes, I'm Hello. here. Hey, hey Todd. Uh, uh, Karen, Brett, we have a caller on the line that would like to ask you guys some questions. Oh, oh yeah, no problem. Hi, Karen. What was your, the other guest's name? Brett. Brad. <laughs> Brad. Boy, you've got some uh, Todd, that's Brett. Guests Brett. B-R-E-T. Bread. Brett. 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 Yep. Brett. Uh, nice to meet you, Karen. Yeah, Brett. nice to meet you. <laughs> you too. Incredible, incredible guest, Daniel. Thank you for such a, a intellectual show this evening. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate the deep thought that that you two bring to this conversation. Um. I'm a fan of end of days radio and uh oh, okay. you yeah, you guys are just uh just on fire with these uh comments. I, I wanted to ask Karen Karen, uh I, I kinda of side with you, you know, like your dad. You remember your dad, the conspiracy theorist? Oh yes. 
I was that guy, you know, back then, and yeah. uh, and learned all that a long time ago, and kind of break with Brett on the Illuminati to to a certain degree, just just semantics mainly. But um, yeah. the one thing I wanted to say about what you two are talking about here is one thing that stood out over the years of study I did, because I've done a lot of study on the same subject, is anthropology. Yeah. And if you can look at this, Karen, because you made such a brilliant statement a minute ago talking about how humans are dealing with the aliens question. Oh, yeah. Look at it from an anthropological aspect. And even Brett, when asked about Jesus and the demons and the aliens, um, Brett mentioned about uh, just look at how other cultures, or that was Karen, other cultures live down below you, what they believe. Um, one thing I found a long time ago was the anthropology ties into this what you guys yeah. are talking about. Yeah, we have an anthropology coming. We have an anthropologist. Dr. Sasha Lesson is going to be speaking at our conference, by the way. He's a wealth of information. It's, it's, I get to learn from greats, you know. <laughs> it, it, it sounds fascinating, but my point is that um, I read some things a long time ago that stuck with me real hard. And it was they studied... Um, early early studies of primitive tribal um, initiate secret societies that the first Western explorers uh, kind of wrote down when they came into tri tribal systems that were forty thousand years old supposedly. They had the hierarchical system and all the control mechanisms in place 40,000 years ago, it seems, and then they kind of just modernized it. Yes, adapted them for their, their area and for their culture. Yeah, they brought it up to present. Each area still lives in its cultural systems. And, uh, and, and, um, and so that was a key kind of a long time ago for me about how our society works on those systems. So, Karen, so so brilliant. You're, you're uh, bringing it into the alien question now, too. I can. I can even tell you where we got those hierarchical systems, if you're interested. Yeah. So I dug deeper and deeper and deeper, and I also had the chance to do question and answer in my journals and, and ask, you know, whoever would talk to me out there. And uh, ran into the fact that, of course, Earth is very focused on Earth's history. But Earth is in a solar system that has had a history. The solar system is in a galaxy, in a galaxy, in a universe that has had a history of all kinds of civilizations that have come and gone and been and done. But what kind of stands out coming from multiple different sources is that Earth history is a continuation of a history called the Orion Empire, and it comes out in quite a different, interesting variety of sources. But how we know about the Orion Empire, and it's, it's going to flabbergast most people when I say this, is we get to watch it in the movies. We keep borrowing archetypal ideas in our culture, in our stories, in our movies, and the story 
of the Orion Empire is actually in things like Star Wars. I used to be a fan of the Dune series. It's in Dune. And what it was mm-hmm. was these techniques of mind control over large groups of people has been developed over hundreds of thousands of millions of years. That's why they work so well. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they get kind of to like Dune. Kind of like yeah. Dune. Hey, you want to know what the, the spice uh... is? If you're a Dune fan, you know what, want to know what I found out the spice might be in the story Dune. We have a substance here on Earth that it might be. It's been written about in our history and in our culture. A white powder, gold, a monoatomic gold, has some of the same properties that are talked about in the spice as far as enhancing human uh, length of uh, life and health and also our prescient and psychic abilities. So uh, I'm that's a... I'm familiar with that. I've heard people are creating it. They've developed, you know, they've, they, they're creating it. We have a friend who... Yeah, we have a friend who does that. So he's an interesting guy. He's kind of a modern-day uh, Merlin, and he lives in Texas. And his name is Clad, and we love Clad. But anyway, he's he's That's so cool. intelligent. <laughs> he's very cool. Yeah. But, I mean, in yeah. other words, we keep rediscovering some principles that are probably endemic to our 3D existence. And we keep repeating the same patterns. Um, and... I think, though, I think we can outgrow this. Just like if you think of a fractal existence, that everything's a fractal of everything else, Human, a human being is a fractal of all humans together, okay? So yeah. a human being, I, I raised three teenagers at the same time. I think I should deserve a purple heart or something. But anyway, I raised yeah. these three kids, and they all grew up and went off and became interesting people. I think that humanity can do the same thing. We will eventually outgrow this need to live in these hierarchical constructs, just like a kid does, and eventually grow to higher levels of civilization. I think that's possible. And when we do, we may oh, not need that hierarchical structure so much. You know what I mean? What I would love to think that that's more than possible and we can do it. And it's the uh, society that says we can't. But Karen, it's a great show. I'm not going to stay much longer, but I got to make one more comment and question for Brett. Okay. Uh, Brett, um, way back in the 90s, like 1992, I was went to some seminars where a guy named Bill Cooper. You paid ten bucks to see this whistleblower, supposedly. Yeah, William Cooper. So yep. Yep, showing pictures of the moon. And he did like an eight-hour seminar where we sat in an auditorium on a big screen and he just clicked through pictures of the moon. And there were all these things on there. He's going, does this look right to you? Does this look right to you? And he'd flip it for eight hours of moon pictures. And so he was going, back then he's going, I don't know if we've been there or we haven't or if they're hiding this, but he's saying right. this doesn't look right. The right, right. angles. He and and he, was, he was actually correct in that assessment. And what he was really saying is these these images are are for your perception. It is not what the moon is actually. And, you know, and what, what, what the thing is is that they did not want the public to know what's on the moon. It's not because they didn't go, but the pictures that you saw and the 
the um, those moon landing images and all of that were done in a yeah. studio. They were all done in a studio. It doesn't mean that they didn't go. They just can't so show us what's only, out there. But, but Brett, yeah. Brett, 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 listen. He not only showed you how all the kind of the fake-looking rover coming down and doesn't look right, looks like a right. studio. He exactly. showed you what they were providing as up above satellite images of the spaces you were talking about, how they mapped it out. Right. And in some of those spaces on the moon, it looked like a, a wrecking yard for B-52 bombers. Right. The shit, the shit you're looking at looked like an ancient wreck, like B-52 bombers had been covered in moon dust. That's right. how weird it looked. And right. so he could he couldn't figure it out. Even when we were looking at in the 90s, then you're like, wow, what is this? Did the aliens take the B-52 bombers from and put them up on the moon as a wrecking charge? You couldn't figure it quite out. But I think you hit on it when you said, picture they have the same map. China has the right. same map as NASA had from years ago using the same images. And you can tell because the height structures of the shadows Right. <laughs> of the pictures years later are the same time of day and frame as if they can't let that fault. Right, that's correct. And, and yeah, and, and the reason why they're fuzzy and the reason why they're, those are all techniques so that they don't have to show us what's really there. And sometimes, mm -hmm. um, what I would look for, especially, um, I would not consider anything, um, as far as lunar images except for the lunar orbiter images. The, the very old ones that were taken before, um, you know, the, the men walked on the moon. And they were looking for a hey, landing I'm a, site. And, and I'm going to leave you with one, one weird thing, because I'm not going to keep you. You're so uh, captivating. You're so, so good. Oh, oh thank you. All one right. more thing. In 69, they had this call from the moon. The, the astronauts called Nixon right. from the moon. Your modern-day cell phone doesn't work that well sometimes, but 250 million miles away in 1969. Yeah, they, they, they used the, right, they used the TRW S-band antenna. And, and a it lot actually of people sent a uh, satellite relay to, to Goddard, you know. Mm-hmm, but a lot of people argue, oh, the way the astronauts answered Nixon, it's because they... He wasn't on a delay, and they were because he asked them a question, and then, then they wait three seconds, and then they go, yes, Mr. President. But then he responds immediately like somebody didn't tell him, wait a minute, because it, you know, it'll sound better if you wait right. three seconds. <laughs> right. But 250 well, it, you know, miles, <laughs> million miles away. It is an extraordinary claim, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very extraordinary claim. <laughs> And we don't know if the astronauts were sitting in a studio live. Yeah. We don't know if, we don't know up. if they were if they were in orbit. We we don't uh, we really don't know if if I doubt that they were on the moon. Guess who they would not probably hold responsible that task of actually going to the moon with aliens or extraterrestrials, right? So uh -huh. NASA would need actors and actresses for all this stuff. Oh, totally. And, 
you know, so so that is a that that is one of my possibilities is that they didn't go at all, or you know, or they they were brainwashed to think they did, you know. I'm with you. It flips. It, it, I mean, but the ultimate question after years is thinking about this, and I could be wrong too. Is they yeah. already been to the moon and the outer planets, and that's what Bill Cooper said. Yeah, absolutely. There's pictures of other planets before we even went to the moon. They knew all the compositions. He was showing you that. And right. they could go, but they were pretending that we can't, so they try to make man think that we have to go there in a tin can. Yeah, there's no way that, which, none of, uh, that, that that's not all a secret. You know what I mean? Yeah. Either yeah, it's it, that, either it's that, or, or they've spent all the money and pretended and they can't really get there, which wouldn't surprise me either. And so they just go, well, let's make a movie. <laughs> so well, I, I don't know if they can. Yeah, I don't know. If, I, I'm pretty sure they can get there. I've seen their craft with my own eyes flying over Highway 10, you know. But, but, but I mean, do you really know close, like 20 I, I live right. I hear you. I live in Utah right by area, the new Area 51. Right, um, exactly. Right. Right. So I hear so, you. So you've I, seen you've seen some pretty strange things that um, that that aren't oh, yeah. in the public view, right? Yeah. So, yeah um, you know, they, they, the they do have yeah they do have these extraordinary machines. So how long have they yeah. had them? Since the Eisenhower days, you know. Yeah, and then you go back, to, you know, where maybe the Nazis developed the technology, or the technology's just there. Well, they partially developed sense. technology. Yes, you bet. It would it would make sense. Uh, the elite, the people that run the world, always hide the technology. Yeah, uh, and they're all but, friends. Come on, they're, we're you, you know the wars are for banks. You know, they're, they're for totally. the, the yeah. They're they're actually money makers. You know, and and it's it, it also feeds the public, entertains them, so that that they can't see what's really going on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The, the, so, uh, as far as if there's an Illuminati or a cabal, yeah, all the, the all the world leaders and their families are are part of that cabal. They're all good friends, yeah. you know. Oh, totally. It, totally. Yeah. You, you'll look have. Bank, um, all you got to do is look at the bank bailout since 2008. Yeah, absolutely. They were printing two, uh, what was it, 800 million or billion dollars a month. Since 2008 up till the time Trump got elected, all and right, Todd, it to the European Todd, bank. Todd, I'm going to go ahead and let you go, buddy. Thanks oh yeah, for the call. sounds good. But great show, great show. Thank right, you guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Todd. And what what do you think of the concept of the Anunnaki that we were actually created by aliens? I'm going to take that because I know what Brett's going to say. <laughs> okay. I love you, Brett. Uh, no, he, he and I have, uh, and it's okay. We Again, it's one of those complexity issues. Um, I'm really good friends with Dr. Sasha Lesson and Janet Lesson, my radio partner, when I was on her show. At Who have been on radio. this show before as well. Very cool people. Oh, yeah, they're they're really cool. Um, and, of course, they were students of Zachariah Sitchin. And so now we're, we're, but when we talk about the Anunnaki, again, it's a complexity. 
So I'm, I decided to write a book. Um, I'm going to be bringing it out uh, in a reprinted version next year. But it's called The Anunnaki and the Moon. And so the, I wanted to go through all these different pieces and see what I personally thought. So my, the biggest surprise that happened to me in my research, and it's a long, crazy story, was I found out, okay, right off the bat we have a problem with the word. Okay, so we had... Uh, Zachariah Sitchin basically saying that, you know, those from heaven to the earth came or, you know, I always would read, when I'm reading Sitchin translations, it always sounds a little like Yoda. It's kind of where they put the verb and the noun and everything is a little different than the way we do that in English. But uh, doing some research into languages, I found another interpretation of that word. It blew my mind. I happened to be in contact with a, a group of people who have a pretty good claim of having one of the oldest root languages in Europe, even older than the Sumerian root languages. And it's the uh, Geg tribe, G-H-E-G tribe of Albania. And one of their linguistic scholars there is right, is working on different uh, books, getting them out in different languages to explain he basically lives in, in the word gag in their language means a giant. So these, the average male is six foot two. The average male is six foot two. Real tall guys. They live way up in the mountains in Albania. Uh, they never were really conquered, so they didn't have that influx of other languages because the other armies would sort of come up to the, uh, you know, foot of the mountains. There was some gold mines down at the base. They just steal all the gold and go back. The Greeks, the Romans, whoever was coming through there. Uh, because if they tried to go up in the hills and fight these guys, they would just roll rocks on them and laugh at them. I mean, they didn't have, they were never conquered, so they had a, kept the purity of their language um, in, in a kind of an island type way. They were kind of in a mountain island, right? And their interpretation of the word Anunnaki, and I know, again, this, not everyone in my good circle of friends agrees with this, but I, I like the idea of it. It literally meant, those who came from the moon. Uh, you know, um, so that was like, okay, now we got to ask, where did the moon come from? So now we have to talk about a group of people called the Proselenes. And those were people who had a cultural so old. One of them was the Akkadians, which um, is talked about in a, a different, uh, you know, very, very early writings. Um, there's some fictional writings based on the Akkadians. And they basically had a, the story of the moon being brought here. And there's, again, the moon is one of those things, again, there's so many different stories of it. But this particular version of the story was that there was not a moon in the sky, and then it was brought uh, here. And the moon is a very unusual object in many ways. It always shows us the same face, which almost nothing else, no other moon in our Solar system does that on any of their other planets. They all rotate, right? Etc. 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 There's a whole list of strange features of the moon, but that there was this story that it was kind of because it was a, a possibly well, what I say in the book is it's just like Obi Wan said, that's no moon, it's a space station. There's a, a group of uh, scientists in in um, Russia, Soviet former Soviet scientists who said that the moon was a man-made object. Well, not a man-made object. It is a intelligently designed object, okay? It's it's not just a rock. And that, in a sense, it acts 
somewhat as a duck blind in the sense that uh, beings could be living there, they could have a base there, they could have a base on the backside that we can't see or under the surface or whatever and be using it to observe Earth. Um, we've actually talked to a gentleman who uh, we have pretty good reason to believe that he's a technician for the sat a relay of satellite dishes that go from the Earth to the moon and out into space. Um, so there's a lot more to this story, but the story of the Anunnaki being like they created us um, it is a story. I don't think it's the story. And the reason why, it's one of those we're the boss of you things. You know, it's kind of like they have this story, again, to uphold the God King situation. So we got to kind of look into that with that eye. It, the story of the Anunnaki was to say that the Anunnaki made the human beings and that some of the human beings were more interbred with the Anunnaki, so they deserve to be kings over us. So I think almost all of this of that needs to be sort of looked in the context of they're not the only group of beings that have interacted with the Earth. I think they were a significant group that were uh, interacted with us on the Earth. I don't think that you can also say that they're all good or they're all bad. That doesn't seem accurate as well. It seems like some of them are are think of human beings as their cattle. They think very little of us. We're just property. And other of them have maybe a more parental feeling. Uh, and they're still around and they're watching over us. And, but that's not the only story here on the Earth. So I think we need to bring some new ideas from a lot of different other voices and other experiencers and uh, anthropological information um, and we we really need to have this come out more, you know, mainstream, more uh, d discussing it. And we do have a hierarchy over the information that's in the mainstream. So that's a whole another kettle of fish. But I think uh, it's a complex story. And I think that the, the beings who were probably tribal that looked at these guys with their cool technology probably thought they were gods. I think on a spiritual level, they're beings like we're beings, you know, and we should have maybe a more of a gelatarian feeling about it in the sense of an anthropological viewpoint. Can you tell us, Karen, can you tell us a little bit more about the program for gifted kids that you were recruited for? Uh, it was a, a gifted and talented program. Um, they call it, there's a lot of different acronyms for this type of program. And uh, the, the specific one in California at the time was called Project Talent. And if you looked that up, you, it would seem very nefarious. It's just, let's let's take some kids, see if they're bright, track them to college, and, and uh, we'll have, you know, help them get a college education. And that was the idea. Um, but it did have a behind-the-scenes purpose of finding not just kids that had a high IQ or really dexterous or very scientific-minded or whatever, they were looking for a wide range of types of talent. And they I've now talked to so many people where they were looking for um, psychic talent. And one story I try to tell on every program I'm allowed to talk about is I want people, if, if they're interested in this, to look up something called Zener Cards, Z-E-N-E-R Cards. It's like a deck of cards. And there's different archetypal images on them. So there's a square, there's a cross, there's a circle, a triangle, um, wavy lines. And what they would do, and I remember this little game that I was playing when I was being tested, was that they first 
had me guess what I thought the next card would be. And then I had a little mat, and then the the person giving me the test would say, uh, do you think it's a square? Do you think it's a wavy line? Do you think it's a... Then after a while, they didn't show me what the answer was. They just had me pick. And then they wrote my responses down. And that was invented at, I believe, Caltech University, I think, uh, uh, quite a long time ago in in the early 1900s as a way to test for ESP ability. And uh, when I tell that story, I... People go, oh, wait a minute, I had that test, you know? So I always like to tell that story. So it sounds like it was actually uh, the people that were behind this program were bad or perhaps part of this cabal. No, I think, I don't know. I think um, I, I think what we have is these, these clandestine programs. They were all compartmentalized, maybe one person in one part of a program, but nobody knew the whole part of it, like the Manhattan Project with the bomb. And I think that some people were very scientific and they were interested in scientific progress and they got hired to to do this. I think another side of, of these group of people was that there's some people, uh, because we do get reports back of pedophilic issues that happen with the kids, that so we have a group of black hat people with nefarious, um, um, you know, intentions. We have people very altruistic who wanted to see humans develop their potential. So, again, the they doesn't help. We've got to look at, like, um, who an obvious black hat was Josef Mengele, who was a Nazi. He experimented on people in the in Nazi Germany, was, was very notorious about studying twins. So they were trying to figure out, um, is is it nature or nurture? So they would take one twin, uh, and, and they would be left alone and, you know, play in the you know playground and they'd leave them alone. They'd take the other twin and they would torture them and they wanted to see if the other twin reacted. So some really nasty stuff. Oh like yeah, that. that's a very uh, good point. That that seems like something you know, I never thought of that before. That might have been some sort of psychic experimentation. Well not only that, but uh as it so happens, uh Brett has two twin daughters and one of them lives with, with us. She's uh, uh, in her twenties. And uh, she came to us a couple of years ago, and uh, she started telling me she had these same tests. And she and I conversed over a long period of time. Um, in fact, she's going to actually speak with me. My topic for the Mars Anomaly Research Society conference this year is the Psychic Sentinels. So I'm going to talk about the Psychic Sentinel program, remote viewing, but more than just remote viewing, the testing process, and in, in my day and era, in the late 60s, they were tested for gifted children. Um, it seems like they changed their tactic later on, and they started testing the kids that were special needs kids. So some of these kids who are having trouble maybe communicating with, with human beings have some strange abilities and talents. And so that apparently those programs have continued. They said that they've discontinued, but I'm finding more and more people of, you know, of the decades since I went through those programs. And one individual in the Secret Space Program who was a decade, she's about 10 years older than me. So at least from the, the 1950s till present day, that these programs are continuing, this testing is still going on. Is the government suppressing the knowledge or suppressing psychic abilities in general? I think what they're doing is, I think it's just a human ability, and I think that in general they they do suppress them primarily through beliefs. 
so um, maybe ultra-religious side, religious side would say, oh, if you get messages, then it's a demonic thing. Um, a scientific hierarchy, and these are all hierarchies, the scientific hierarchy would say, oh, well, you're crazy and you've got schizophrenia. Um, in order to kind of, you know, it, it's considered a pseudoscience. Psyabilities are still considered that because they really don't want us to know what's really going on. But at the same time, now we have lots and lots of people who've had all kinds of experiences and also experiences in these programs. And it was very interesting because what's kind of happening at some big conferences, Brett and I got a chance to go to Contact in the Desert this year, and I didn't even go hear the speakers. With All I was doing the whole time was talking to what we call the program kids. I, we were all conclaving around all over that facility talking because there's things that you can say online. There's things that's getting worse. It's getting harder to talk even about certain things online. Very true. Um, yeah, and it's going to get worse because they're trying to stamp out fake news, which is just control all of our you know narratives. So it's even hard to talk about these within these kinds of groups because some people don't, uh, you know, they're they're choking on the idea that there might even be a secret space program. Um, most of the speakers were saying that, you know, that were up in front and talking were dealing with it in a very hypothetical way, um, even quite skeptical. And then, you know, in all the, you know, little tables and chairs in the restaurants and the coffee shops around there, we're, groups of us are actually getting together and sharing our actual experiences and hearing other people's stories. So there's kind of several levels here. The, the secret space program meme, I guess you would say, is sort of bubbling up through the, the alternative community. Uh, but but if you really, you know, if you say, well, I'm not sure about that, you're not going to hear any more about it. If you, if you remain skeptical, there's a problem with if you remain skeptical. You're not going to hear the story. Somebody's going to go, well, I'm not going to waste my time, get ridiculed by that guy. So it's important, and I try to teach people this when I, anytime I talk, is we need a third place for information. And I, I, I think of it as like, you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, there's a bunch of pieces you don't know where they fit yet, but you just put them down on the table, and you don't have to you don't have to use them yet. You just have to know, okay, that's there. I don't know what to do with that. We need to approach information much more um, with with, as Aristotle says, it's a, an educated mind can entertain an idea without necessarily believing it. So we need to to not let our beliefs get in the way of just hearing the story in the first place. How about? Oh, I'm sorry, what was that? Something about discernment? Oh, yeah, well, you, you, your discernment say, well, use discernment. Well, that's usually based on whatever belief system that we have and what experiences we have. So it's important to also look at our experiences and our belief system and say, hey, is that helping me understand myself or my experiences or what I'm hearing, or is that getting in my way? So we, we also have to analyze our own toolbox of what we use to understand things. How about telekinesis? Is that real as well? I've got uh, multiple reports that it is. I believe at some point I had the ability to do that. That's probably something that was at e- more point, easily squelched. At some point, what do you mean about that, at some point? I, I, I have uh, memories are very sketchy of doing some t- uh, moving some blocks around on a table, but I still don't have full recall of everything. And if they were going to just, you know, not only suppress my ability to remember what happened, suppress my ability to, um, you know, do what I do best, 
Um, if I had any other little extra things, and I've heard plenty of people have, in me, I think it got squashed down much harder. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think um, it's a very subtle thing, especially, you know, in, in our three-dimensional plane of existence, you know, the the interdimensionals are much better at telekinesis than we are. Uh, you've heard of, you know, poltergeists and things flying around the room and everything else. So, you know, we're limited because we're we're stuck in this 3D um limited environment and and the the control we have over it is extraordinarily subtle you know so the the telekinesis that we would have and and very few have actually experimented with this um at Stanford research and that I think one of them was um Yuri Geller that was able to actually move something you know yeah, and I think Ingo Swan was one of them too. Yeah, I've seen stuff like that. Uh, you know, some old videos. Uh, uh, there was a Russian lady that was exhibiting some very interesting abilities, and of course, skeptics can say, "Oh, they were using magnets or the strings or something like that." But I have reason to believe myself personally that telekinesis does exist. Um, I guess I went through a little bit of a, a phase as well. Um, I'm not going to explain how that happened, but I have reason to believe that it's very real as well. Yeah, it's a, you know because it it would have to be real because we don't actually touch anything. What do you guys think of the greys? Are they just little worker drones? Are they a species? What do you think of the traditional grey alien? Uh, all of, all uh, the above, all of the above. I I one of my contact. I have several beings that I have uh, frequent contact with. Um, one of the beings I'm in contact with is a green. He's not really a, just a gray color. He's sort of a grayish green color. And he's definitely a humanoid uh, type being. Um, but what's interesting about him is <clears throat> he interacts with, with humans, but his actual, like, you know, skin he was born in, in a sense, is in a body that's 20 feet tall, which is kind of intimidating to, you know, human earth humans that are, you know, average five and a half feet tall or six feet tall. So he actually avatars in a gray type now when he's when he's tall, when he's in his twenty feet tall, he's much, much more green, almost like the classic green, you know, lovely shade of neon green you see at Roswell on, on dolls, you know. But uh when he's um avataring his consciousness in an avatar body in order to interact with humans and not be um, intimidating. He's approximately four feet tall, and it's more of a pale green. It's kind of like a like a desert lizard, you know, just very white, uh, grayish, but with kind of a green tinge. And um, <clears throat> he used to call himself Mr. Green to me, you know, that's the name I got. Um, I think uh, many people who've encountered the grays have encountered a large tall ones with a group of smaller ones that seem to be more... Mechazoid. Um, the one thing we have to realize when we start getting out into higher levels of technology that's out there <clears throat> is that um, they use bodies the way we do spacesuits. So if we have to go as a human being out into space, we've got to have a spacesuit to basically recreate Earth conditions for us to survive. Um, it's much easier if you have the ability to do that, to actually just uh, put your consciousness in a, a body that's appropriate to the environment that you're going to be in. And I know that's really mind-boggling and kind of mentally challenging to get your head around, 
But I mean, we've already seen the movie, right? Avatar, where there was a human being who put his consciousness in an avatar uh, being's body because he couldn't survive uh, on the surface if he didn't. So I think that idea is is a feature of other civilizations. They have that ability to do it. So they're not as hung up on, uh, you know, that I'm this one person in this one body, and when I am born, I'm that's my whole existence, and then when I die, I go off and do something else. I mean, they really have a more, uh, much more different uh, um, experience and, and viewpoint. Can you talk to the dead? It's not something I sought out to do. What, the way it came for me was um, uh, because I've got the Native American heritage, um, it was more like ancestors. I typically don't seek out doing that. It has happened on occasion in one case. I was contacted by a person who was murdered, and they wanted someone to know that. And um, so I said, I'm, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Um, it was, like I said, because of my religious background, I was kind of eebie-jeebie about it. Um, now that I know that, you know, you know, time, it's kind of, you know, our, our minds are um, a part of forever, really. And that time is, is we're in the body, we're out of the body, we're in between bodies. We might even be in between different types of existences, and it may not even be a past life thing. It might be omni-life, meaning that since time is just now, right, um, this might all be happening at once. So um, it's one of those things I'm still exploring philosophically. Like I said, I don't seek it out. It has happened, uh, but like I said, more likely for me it has been ancestors, and that's been very, very valuable information to me personally. I've learned I, I was brought up in more my uh, Irish part of my family heritage, and I actually have quite a bit of Cherokee. I didn't really know almost anything about it because they got assimilate, assimilated about four generations ago, and there was just some things I really needed to know about that, about who I am as a person, you know, because I'm, I'm really kind of got a, a, a different personality than a, a maybe Irish person. I tend to think of them kind of more, you know, like a... a <laughs> It's a lovely culture, but I mean, I'm a little more stoic, a little bit more introverted in some ways, I think, and I think uh, that was helpful to me to know who I was and re- kind of figure out what my belief systems were. If I so desired, how could I become more psychically powerful? Uh, that's easy. Believe you can. <laughs> so it's beliefs. Beliefs you start with. Okay, it's believe that all of us human beings have. Uh, have this as part of our life. We call it different things. So, for instance, if you meet somebody and you either get a really good feeling about them and, you know, you're going to be friends or you're immediately turned off and like, oh, gosh, I'm going to have trouble with that guy, that's a psychic ability right there. That's a our shared social psychic, you know, thing that we're all swimming in when we're in society. So that's that's just a baseline right there, Okay. And then um, one of the things that I'm going to be trying to make into what well, I teach intuitive journaling, intuitive journaling, and the reason why is we got to work through what is our belief systems of why do we think that we aren't, right? Was it because uh, we had a bad experience? Was it because of what we were taught, you know, since we could remember? Was it because we were you know, in, in academia, and that was, you know, social suicide and academic, you know, suicide. Was it was it distracting? Um, do we, you know, we've got to 
work on, on your thoughts first. Everything follows our thoughts and our imagination. Uh, they say, oh, that's just your imagination. And that is like such a diminution of the greatest gift humanity has. I say that imagination is the opposable thumb of the mind. Without it, you cannot grasp anything. Every invention, every thought, every work of literature, everything comes from uh, from within. It comes from in our minds first. So I would start with beliefs. Uh, I would start with positive practices. I'm not too much with the whole evoking scary stuff. It wouldn't be what, you know, I know people feel that they need to do that maybe because they want to know about it or they want to have some kind of empowerment maybe if they felt disempowered. I don't judge that. That's that's somebody else's path. For me, it's like when I'm deciding to uh, uh, meditation is super important because you kind of want to get in a still space. You want to have a meditation practice. I also think it's helpful to have a protection practice um, or just something that makes you feel safe because of all the negativity, mostly in movies and media. Just I don't know if people know this, but. Almost all are like really scary horror movies where there's some kind of demonic possession is bankrolled by the church, the Vatican, you know, because there's always a hero priest, of course, that comes and saves the day because they want people to be scared. They want people to need them, okay? It's part of the adversary creation. Um, and uh, just uh, today they've listed all 400 movies that were made by the military-industrial complex for recruitment. So that list is on zerohedge.com. You might want to check that out. We need to understand what society is is showing us, putting on us, and um, wanting us to believe based on what media that we're encouraged to look into. Yeah, the the other thing is to to practice um, practice perception and awareness. You know, um, I I think it's very important um, because when when we're we're dealing with um, talking to, you know, another dimension of sorts, um, which I, I don't believe um, there's, there, I know there's a physical death or whatever, but I don't really believe in death, death, because I've heard literal voices from people I know from the other side, you know. And the the thing about that is um, some, some people will say, well, just meditate or something, and people have the wrong idea about meditation because they think it's a like you know falling asleep into a dream state or something of some kind of subconscious thing and really it's a it's a hyper awareness so if somebody were to get into a, a real meditative state they would be hyper aware of the dimensional information around them so uh, perception is a very key thing and and looking at that and yes of course um um knowing that knowing that that exists is very important and sometimes that happens to us you know through through trauma or some kind of weird um experience you know spontaneously or something and um but i believe that that if if someone if nothing has ever happened to them like that i think that they can still tap into that just with hyper-awareness of the other dimensional information around them and perception. And, you know, some people say that they call out to the universe and ask and politely or something like that, or they um, they, they go through the, the traditional God figure 
or something like that. And I'm sure all of those things could work, but it's all about perception. Does that make sense? Absolutely. What do you guys think about those weird pictures of those super tall towers on the moon? Oh, super tall towers? Yeah, those, um, you've you've heard of those, right, or seen the pictures? I have, and and um, that that's actually part of of the equipment of of one of the orbiters that were going around the moon. They, they, there was an actual sensor that kind of stuck out in front of the camera, and Na- what NASA would, was was doing is they were brushing airbrushing some of it out and leaving part of it in there. You know, so so of course you can't see the attachment to the the actual vehicle that's um, moving around in orbit, but you see just that part um, that they left on the image. So when you're looking at, at the old Ranger images, especially, you'll see those weird um, tower-like things that are spirally, and they look like they have little white balls attached to them and stuff like that. That's that is an instrument. Uh, and again, a complexity. There's more than one types of things going on, depending yes. on which picture that you look at. Depends. Yeah. I have a fairly a uh, couple of people who have uh, fairly decent level uh, experiencers who said there's absolutely structures on the moon, and uh, that because they have less gravity to have to worry about than we do, and no uh, coriolis uh, or textual uh, winds to worry about. Uh, they actually can build taller structures, and they have um, anti-gravitation, or what, I don't like that word. It's more like neutral gravitational um, technology that helps keep those things, uh, you know, in place versus a lot of structure to them. So, like, they could be taller, they could be skinnier. Um, so, it, again, it depends on who you're talking to. It depends on what information do they have to go with the photograph as well. You have to ask more questions, is that real or not, because it's it's complex. Yeah, the the, the possibility is absolutely there, but I, yeah. I, I can't really say that I can go on these images that they gave us, you know. But I know glass, the properties of glass are like steel on the moon. Yeah. Do you have any opinions on where this is all headed? What's the end game? What's going to happen in the future? Okay, that's the conversation we've had for three days, talking about uh, looking at what, you know, where uh, the anomaly community is going. I think it's good to continue to look at images, question images. We would really like to make the request to people looking at images, start looking at the origin of the picture you're looking at online or whatever. Our Sort of our complaint right now uh, is people look, you know, they go online and they, they, they see a, a photo that's on some website and it's, uh, we call it lunar porn. I uh, hate to be kind of crude, but it's kind of like, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. And uh, that's cool. But, I mean, I think people need to start, like, like pick a couple things. Pick one thing that you think is interesting and learn everything you can about it. Uh, one of the complaints anomaly hunters, they call them anomaly hunters, Brett calls them anomalists, you know, have is that uh, people um, don't understand the entire context of what they're looking at. They don't look into it. And the worst thing at all is that these different news organizations 
cut off the name of the person who found it. And oftentimes you'll see in the language it'll say, some anomaly hunters found whatever. And uh, and the problem with doing that, it, what you see constantly is to control this information is to compartmentalize it. So we're going to cut it off from its origin. If the person found it and has a story about it and you cut their name off it, now you don't have anything to Google. Now you don't know who to ask, okay? And understand that we're all going to be grown-ups here and realize we don't have to agree. It's okay. We can be civil and just say, well, I think this and you think that, and let's look at the evidence. I think it's immature to ask for proof because that proof of what? You know, there's more to it than that. Let's look at information, data, ideas, background, provenance, dig deeper, um, somebody does not have to prove something to you in five minutes. We can't. The only one who can actually potentially prove anything is the ones that have these photos in their vaults that they don't show us. And they need to prove to us that they're accountable to the public. And until we solve that problem, some of these other things, we're going to have to just make our best guess and ask questions. I think that's fair. Well, you know, since they tried to control the narrative with these these perceptual images that they've shown everybody, even the the even the so-called actual images that they may have in some vault or something, are not proof. They're no longer proof because we can't trust them. So the the thing is, is proof. The only way we can prove anything is to ourselves through our own experiences and our own knowing. So if we see something in the you know, you know, twenty feet away from us that doesn't look right, that is proof. We just experienced proof for ourselves. And there is absolutely no way that we can prove those things, but what we can do is present evidence. We can present evidence and, and but but still, you know, the the person on the other end of that evidence will have to have a belief that that's real. And we are unfortunately approaching the end of our interview tonight, but I'd like to go ahead and open things up one more time for you guys. If you'd like to say anything else or if you'd like to go ahead and talk about the conference anymore or really if you'd like to plug anything at all, feel free to do so at this time. Well, I'd like to invite people to the Mars Anomaly uh, Research Society 7th Annual, Annual Conference in Silver City, New Mexico, September 7th through the 9th. Uh, it's it's a cute little western town from the 1800s, and it's a lot of fun. It's real pretty here in this part of New Mexico. We're right next to the um, Gila National Forest, and we're in a facility that's from the ni- 1934, so it's an Art Deco hotel that's been uh and being upgraded, and it's got nice rooms and a, a, a lovely um, ballroom. We're going to be in a fancy ballroom, um, so that's fun. And uh, a wonderful, fun group of people. Um, I think you'll be really fascinated. You go to Mars Anomaly, A-N, how do I spell that? <laughs> A-N-O-M-A-L-Y, MarsAnomalyConference.com is our website, and you'll get all the information about that. Uh, and uh, I'll just tell my website. My website is kcpatrick.com. Uh, I'm kind of restarting it with uh, my material. Uh, right now I have uh, uh, an ebook uh, about a basic income and an ebook on Anaki and the Moon. And uh, when I get done with these presentations, I'll have a video of them available. Um, and also, Brett and I have uh, an older site that we worked on together called portalsofknowing.com. 
It has a lot of free research uh, information available. And Brett, go ahead and tell them about your website. Uh, my my website is is brettcolin.com b r e t c o l i n dot com, and I have uh, I, the first page of I've, I've got a bio of my story, and also the book I wrote uh, about all of the lunar anomalies and and all of the NASA magic with these images and all of that, and also my own personal experience with these images and Stanford Research Institute and all of that. And on on my website, I also have lots of media, um, lots of inter- interviews with me and Ken Johnston Sr., and also um, lot, tons of lunar anomalies and Mars anomalies that um, some I found, but a, a lot of them are from uh, the Lunar Anomaly Research Society. So we've got some good stuff on there, and we've got some articles and all of that. So, yeah, but I, it really, I would love to see everybody come to the the 7th Annual Mars Conference. I'm going to be talking about our first technological contact with an extraterrestrial civilization from 1924. Very cool. And I definitely had a great time talking to the both of you tonight, and hopefully we can do this again for next year's conference. Yeah, that'd be great. I would really appreciate that. Daniel, thank you so much for having us on here. We really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. It's been a great show and a great time, and I can't wait to talk to you both again in the future. But until then, you have a good night, my friends. Okay, thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Very cool. Boy, Karen and Brett were so smart and so just on the cutting edge of this stuff. And what's really cool about them is you can tell they don't agree on everything, yet they still are research partners, which is amazing. It just shows that a lot of you out there need to grow up and quit fighting about stupid little topics. Agree to disagree and join heads. That's all. (laughs) But uh, I'm going to take a break. I still got plenty of show to do. Oh, my. I'm fired up. I'm angry. I've got a lot to say. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the end of days. This is me. This is the D-A-N, the all-American man, coming at you from the ever-sunny Seattle, Washington. Believe it or not, it's not always gray skies here. I hate to burst a lot of y'all's bubbles out there, but it is not always rainy here. It is not always cloudy. That's mostly just bullshit. It's true. Oh, yes, it's true. It is cloudy here often. It's very, it's a very mild climate, but it's not always cloudy. It's not always raining. In fact, our sunny days are some of the most beautiful in the country, if not the most beautiful. Yes, I'm very proud of my home area. I'm very proud. I'm glad that I was born here. Well, I wasn't born here, but I'm glad that I wound up here because it really is a great area. There's a lot of opportunity, a lot of stuff to see. A lot of stuff to do. I mean, you've got the whole music history here. Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain. Is James Brown from Seattle? I don't remember. But in any case, it's a great place to live. It's a little liberal, a little crazily liberal. I suppose maybe that's part of the charm. It's been a little too much lately. 
they let the homeless people get away with everything because, I don't know, apparently somehow the homeless people have become the highest social class because they're literally, like, protected by the law. They can poop on your porch. you got to leave them alone. They're holy. That's what it is. They're holy. So they can piss on your leg or shit on your porch or eat shit in front of you or or come up behind you and try to choke you for no reason. You guys know what's really weird? So I had an email correspondence with Karen and Brett. Well, just Karen, actually, not Brett. She was just kind of speaking for him. But in between me looking at my phone and getting on air, I'm looking at my phone right now. The email is gone. It's gone. It's like it disappeared into thin air. That whole entire 15 email correspondence, it's been plucked from thin air. Very weird. Is it a bug? Did I accidentally delete it? Why isn't it in my delete folder? What happened to it? It seems to have just been plucked out of thin air. I really hope that it's not what I think it is and another one of these strange technical anomalies that keep happening. Perhaps you could call them warnings. I don't really know. I don't really know. But I'm not going to back down from it. You can shut this show down. You can you can send mind rays at me to make my ears squeal and ring. You can stab me with, with invisible knives. You can make my heart palpitate. You can get inside my dreams. You can send emissaries of darkness to come into my life and try to mess me up. You can do all kinds of things, but you will never get me to stop. Because... Even though I know this world belongs to the bad guys at the moment, I know there's a greater good out there. I know that no matter what type of shitty situation I'm in in life, no matter how hard things get, whether I'm in a prison cell or in a swamp or wherever I'm at, wandering the desert, wherever I'm at, if I'm outnumbered, wherever I'm at, I know that I'm not alone. I know that I've got friends in high places that are looking out for me. And and my greatest friend is the big G himself, the most high, the man in the sky. And I know some of you get kind of embarrassed and uncomfortable when I talk about God. But maybe there's a reason why it makes you feel embarrassed or uncomfortable. Maybe you've lost touch with something. Maybe I have lost touch with something and... I didn't understand how to get it back. And maybe I've kind of reconnected. And now I sort of just get it. I do think that there is indeed a God out there. And there is indeed a Satan, a.k.a. Lucifer. Because I know that there's a God. I know that there's a creator. A God of gods. A most high. A Godhead. Because I know that this thing or being or collective everything exists, I also know that there's always duality out there. And if there's a most high, there's a most low. (laughs) That's the best way that I can put it. That's hard for some people to understand. It's, It's very funny because the kids nowadays, (laughs) 
The kids nowadays, I just can't relate to them at all. They're so different. They're just in their own hyperactive, no attention span world. These kids that grew up on iPhones and iPads, they can barely listen to you for three seconds. And all they want to talk about is themselves. They don't want to work. You know, you ask them to do something and they just kind of give you attitude, even though they're supposed to be getting paid to to uh, do work. <laughs> they don't want to do it. <laughs> um, it just seems like young people, they don't have any work ethic anymore. and They just want everything to be handled to, handed to them. And they're all turning into little socialists as well. It's my opinion that after this next four years of Trump, of course, the Democrat, we're in a four-year term after his full eight years, I should say. They're going to get a Democrat in office, and when that happens, you want change. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, if you thought Obama pushed a lot of socialist stuff, wait until this next person gets in office. They're really going to rock the boat because all this pressure that's building up, all these Socialist kids, this Antifa stuff, all of these professors pushing socialism and communism, Marxism on kids and college campuses, it's all going to blow up. It's all going to blow up, and we're going to go socialist. You better believe it. It's where things have been headed for a long time now, and it's also where the elite want us to go because it's their total Teleradian New World Order. They're fascist state. They claim to be anti-fascist, but they are indeed the biggest fascists themselves. And that is what they want. They want a one-world, new-world order, and they want a new age, an age of Aquarius. And how are we going to keep this from happening? We're not. We're going to just watch it go down. But let me tell you, it is exciting to be living in these times, these end of days, these trying times. There's a lot of evil on this earth. Some people even accuse me of being evil, as crazy as that, as that sounds, as nice of a guy that I am and everything that I do. There's people out there that think I'm some kind of disinformation agent or I'm some kind of psyop. Daniel, why have you been doing that show so long? Who's funding you? How do you get all these great guests on your show? Look at these topics you're pushing. You must be getting paid, right? Who's paying you? Hey, I wish somebody was paying me. <laughs> More like I'm paying myself. I'm working my butt off so I can put this show on for y'all. I work my butt off so I can do this. How many people out there do that? How many people actually work their ass off so that they can spread truth? And the truth is the number one thing in my life. There's family. There's God. There's... Guns, girls, and gold? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Comic books, pro wrestling. Um, no, you know what it is? The truth is that the truth is what's up. It's all about the truth. It's about finding the truth, and it's about holding on to it once you've found it and not letting it slip away. And you can listen to that gut feeling. You can use logic. You can use discernment. You can really think it out. You can believe what other people tell you is true there's many approaches but ultimately reality is arbitrary it is it's arbitrary 
It has a lot to do with the person perceiving it. I don't know what to believe anymore. And personally, I think that's a good thing. I think that the more flexible that you can be, be like water. Be flexible. I can be open to the idea of Christ. I can be open to the idea of aliens. I can be open to the idea of reincarnation. I can be open to the whole Saturn Matrix thing, too. I could be open to gay frogs. Speaking of gay frogs, big news today and yesterday and the day before. It appears that a person that I've talked about quite a bit on this program, the man himself, Alex Jones... Alex Jones has been banned from just about every social media outlet out there. They say that he is pushing hate speech. As you know, I have often I have often accused Jones of being a disinfo agent, of being part of a psyop. And I still believe that to be true. And perhaps this is part of it, I don't really know. It could be playing both ends. But Let's just take it how it looks on paper. Even though I don't like Alex Jones, I don't agree with him, I don't subscribe to anything that he does. In fact, I hate him. I'll admit to that. I do. I hate the guy. He's really obnoxious and he makes us all look like idiots. Even though I feel that way, what they are doing to him is wrong. It's just true. No matter how much I don't like him, I cannot say that... I go along with this in any way. It's awful. It's complete outright control, like Karen alluded to earlier. It's complete control. Basically, they're saying, you talk back and you get whipped. It's like, uh, you know, back before people became sane, back in in school, in high school, or junior high school, or, or elementary school, uh, where they would use corporal punishment and they'd uh, give you a spanking if you did not do what you were told. If you did not obey the government and you did not fall in line, they would actually physically hurt you. Well, that's the message that they're sending to everybody out there. They're saying that if you step out of line, there's going to be consequences. You can't play anymore. You can't participate. You could lose a lot of money. You could lose a lot of your. You could lose your entire following. Or if you're just a regular person, you're still going to have all that effort that you put into building your social media. It's all going to be taken away from you in a second. That's exactly what this is. Don't you get it? They're trying to intimidate all of us, all the truthers out there, all the people that believe in free speech, all the people that are calling out Israel like I am. All the people that are pointing out the pedophilia, that are pointing out the false flag operations, they're calling it hate speech. Hate speech. How is that hate speech? If anything, it's anti-hate speech. It's truth. You tell the truth about history. You tell the truth about what's going on in the world, and they call it hate speech. That's insane. It's double talk. It's Orwellian double talk. It's 1984. It's 1984. It really is. It's 1984. Winston and Julia, 19-fucking-80-fucking-four, Ministry of Truth, 1984. If you have not read 1984, go read 1984, because this is 1984. 1984. Uh, <laughs> I hate this world. I hate it. I fucking hate this world. 
It, no, it's just bad. This is not my country. This is not what I was taught was the country that I grew up in that I believed in. Apple pie, baseball, and freedom. Apple pie, baseball, fast cars, and freedom. That's America. Not this communist bullshit. You say the wrong thing, they'll ban you. I'm telling you guys, we got to start looking into these alternatives. we got to get the internet back to how it was. Endofdaysradio.com. Come on. Let's get, let help you guys out there. You got to help me get this started. Endofdaysradio.com has a forum. If I can integrate something more social media-ish on there, I totally will. I'll look into stuff like that. But I need you guys to help me grow this platform. I do. Because we, this is something that I have control of. I can promise you that. And I will always keep it free. So come to me. I mean, come to endofdaysradio.com. And I promise freedom. I promise truth. I promise no moderation or Nazi behavior or banning people or kicking them off. I've run a forum for over like 11, 12 years. I know how to do it. So if you come to endofdaysradio.com, you join the community, that will give me a whole lot of hope because then we can create our own thing. And not just not just my website, but all these other alternatives that people are starting up. Please explore them. Give them a chance. We can't all be on the same three social media platforms. That doesn't work. You guys are letting them take control, letting them trick us. We can't let that happen. Now, what really disturbs me is how quickly it's happening. And there's multiple things happening at once. Not only are they completely cracking the whip on all of us truthers out there, but they're also pushing fucking pedophilia on everybody. They're pushing pedophilia and being nice to pedophiles and treating them as they're a they're a sexual orientation. They're telling us that that's normal. And what's going to happen next? If you say anything bad about pedophiles, then that's hate speech? Hate speech. Anything, anytime you talk, talk back, that's hate speech. Insubordination, right? You're talking back. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. You're talking back to your superior. You're talking back to the person who's higher than you in the hierarchy. I believe that nobody should fear any man or woman. I believe that everybody should be free. Everybody is equal. That's the truth. Everybody is equal. Why the hell should I have to listen to anybody tell me what I can and can't say? That's the whole point of this program. And other people have tried to tell me what I can and can't say. You know, networks, co-hosts, all kinds of people have tried to tell me what I can and can't say. And I've never let it stop me. Here we are today, still going strong, with nothing holding me back. Because I would not let that happen. This is End of Days Radio. This is about anti-censorship. It's about truth. It is the complete antithesis of what's going on right now. And I hope you all out there realize that. 
I'm going to do my best not to get banned, but I can't make any promises. I have a pretty big, obnoxious mouth, as you may have noticed. At least when I'm on this program, I do. Because this is when I really get to be me. I can be my true self. Not like my day-to-day life, where I have to be normal. <laughs> What's normal? Anyways, uh, kind of went off on that. But there's other things going on. Uh, how do I even get to all this? Let's see. I do have a really nice email from a female listener to the show. And I can't help but want to read this. It's so long, but I like reading these letters that you guys send me. Listener letters, they just really, they're so fun. And I hope i hope that I can read, read this on the air. It looks like it's totally cool. So this is from Nina. Nina says, Just want to say that I love your radio podcast and I follow your Twitter. Thanks to your show, you and people like you, us, Braving the unknown and being who I am and connecting with other enlightened supernatural beings has been so much easier for me. Waking up alone is really scary, but luckily it takes a lot to scare me. Others are not so lucky. Your show is one of the few that help people living with telepathy and empathy feel connected and life seems not as weird as we both know it can be. I've been researching myself and others in so many connected historically recorded events For as long as I can remember, going on 20 years of magic, religion, psychology, philosophy, neurology, biotech, ancient aliens, holistic sciences, alchemy, harmonic tuning, etc., I'm only 32. But because of my channeling, some days it's like I'm a child. Others, it's like I'm thousands of years old. It's taken so long to harness my clairvoyant abilities fully until recently, so I'm sure you can imagine how crazy my perception of life has been. Turn inside out and back again, I've learned the dimensional depths of realities people can get stuck in, and I'm so ready to help other people not get lost in the cause of confusion. Listening to your show has brought clarity to so many of my new abilities, so I just want to say thank you and keep it up. I've heard shows literally get cut off in mid-sentence due to the topics they were discussing, so the fact that you've lasted this long in itself is a miracle. Much love, Nina. Oh my, oh my, oh my. My heart is warmed. Thank you so much, Nina. That is just, oh wow. Like, if somebody could make me feel happy by saying something, that's what they would say. <laughs> like, to think that my crazy stuff that I talk about, about telepathy and psi abilities, well, we all know that it's not crazy at all. It's very real. But because of that, I'm actually touching people that otherwise would feel insane and alone and like what the hell's going on they might give up on the entire thing and just lose their abilities because they just are so freaked out by it and i'm glad that i could bring some kind of normalcy to that if i've done anything with this program if i've if i've actually brought psi abilities to the surface somehow i can die a happy man but let me tell you that's not all i've done i've done a lot more than that and i have no ego at all when i say stuff like that It's just part of the act. My real true self has no ego. (laughs) Isn't that like the most amazing cop-out of all time? Well, I know one thing for sure. I do feel much more humble because I just could see this pure power in front of me, the, the magic and the psychic abilities and things like that, manifestation. 
I've decided to kind of just tone down on all that stuff. And I know a lot of you guys out there, a lot of you listeners, you're not even going to relate to that at all. Like, Daniel, why would you do that? Are you becoming some kind of religious freak? Or why would you do that? What are you talking about? It's not that. It's not that. It's just opening my eyes and seeing these sick fuck people out there that think that they can just, they can just manipulate us. They think that they can just abuse the power and authority and magic and psychic abilities and, and technology and things like that. They can abuse it to lord over us. Those are the people that think that way, that think that it's okay to just, you know, power unchanged, just pure intellect, the, the pure power of the intellect. That's the Luciferian ideology. That's what it is. And I didn't understand that before. But let me tell you something. It's very possible to fly too close to the sun. And it helps to have a little humility and to know when to dial it back and to know that you are just a man and you are just a cog in the machine. And as bright and shiny as that cog can be, you're not the only cog in the machine. There's other people out there that matter and you have no right to dictate their lives or manipulate them or change their reality or anything like that. But what you do with yourself is entirely your own business. So, by all means, shoot for the stars. Whoa, holy shit. Hello. Hey, Daniel. Hey there, buddy. As soon as you said the word apple pie, I had to call in. Apple pie. That's my code word or whatever that says call Daniel. It feels like Um, warm apple pie. Oh, so good. Just use some uh, whipped cream on top. Uh, okay. I hope you're go talking the extra about actual mile. whipped cream. Go the extra mile. Buy a bottle of whipped cream. Yeah, why not? It's, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. But, um, so deep tonight, Daniel. You said everything I was going to try to say, but made it more sensible so people could understand the position that we're moving towards in our society. Yeah, and I'm especially affronted by it because it's only obvious that they're doing this thing with Jones to set a president so they could come after all of us real truthers out here. Well, you were saying things that I thought a day or two ago without ever saying, mentioning anything to you ever, we're all, you know that hundred monkey thing? Where the hundredth monkey, you know, one monkey learns a tool and eats a potato in a different way, and a hundred other monkeys on an island suddenly do the same thing. Yeah, something like that. Like if a hundred of them learn how to do it, then the monkeys in the next island over are going to know how to do it. Yeah, no contact. They automatically figure out, oh, this is our new evolution. A a leap because one guy did it. Yeah, I'd say that there's definitely truth to that. Well, it's on PBS and all that. You know, they've shown these programs for the monkey or the thing. He learns how to get the ants out of the tree, which is use a long weed to get more ants. Hey, Todd. Hey, Todd, I'm going to go off topic for one second. 
But have you ever seen yeah. that video on YouTube of that gorilla that pulls that giant green shit log out of his butt and starts eating his poop? <laughs> I have never seen that. I'm glad I didn't. And then the little baby gorilla walks up to him, like, crawls up to him, and, and the papa gorilla starts sharing his poop with the baby one, and they're both eating it together. No, that sounds horrible. Yeah, it was pretty horrible. Okay, anyways, please continue. Oh, anyways, it was the anthropology thing, because earlier you were on anthropology. But uh, so eloquent, Daniel, how you described our situation in the United States um, right now with the psyops, the disinformation, the this, the that, the Trump. <laughs> yep, it's all fake. It's all a big dog and pony show. It's the world stage and all of these characters, these idols, they're, they're simply acting. They're actors and actresses playing out their roles on a world stage in order to brainwash us. Well, look at the signs and symbols around you. Since Trump's got in, things have improved, but they've gotten worse because they were already going down a bad road. How they improved was Trump brought attention to the deep state, the Illuminati. You mean his masters? Possibly. Possibly? Um, What was he doing over there in Israel, if it's only possibly? He travels the world. He's one of the wealthiest, you know. He's, he travels around. He's, he's wanted everywhere. He's a top TV star. You can see how he'd go over to Israel. Oh, oh, oh you want to talk about Israel? <laughs> well, no, not specifically. I'm just saying if Trump was really against the deep state, and don't get me wrong, I don't hate Trump. I think oh. he's hilarious. But hold on. If Trump is really against the deep state or he's really against the Illuminati, why would he be doing exactly what the the international financiers slash bankers slash Zionists would want him to do? Well, I kind of look at it like, wow, I love the idea that America is coming around. It's calling attention to the fake news and, you know, everything Trump says, and he's so funny. I always think around to the WWE or the wrestling guys. He he was in WWE. He actually appeared yeah. at WrestleMania. Yeah, then they put on the good show and they get everybody. Come on, everybody! And everybody, if you're with them, <laughs> and if you're against them, you're the guy. Oh, boo! You know, you're that little crowd or the bigger crowd. Um, Clyde Lewis did some of the most incredible analysis this week because he lives in Portland. Oh, that's where he, he lives in the his show from. Okay, so he lives in the city that's getting all crazy right now. Yeah, and he's five nights a week at ten or eleven till three in the morning, and uh, they said if this riot gets crazy, if it gets a riot. He might ask you to come in. And so he works there, and he's top fucking show at that time. He's like George Norrie, but way better. Um, He went and looked at the the protests, and he's like, 
they asked him to give his analysis and he did a show where he said, this looks like cosplay. This looks like a theater. You got kids on the one side, you got the other kids on the other side, and then he played um, clips live or whatever that he caught where Antifa's going, nah, 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 sitting the fascist over. <laughs> and then the other, <laughs> and then the other guys on the other side, the Proud Boys and the Christians, Bible people that just wanted to show up and march to the city center are there with their chants or or whatever. He said, I'm looking at it. looks like high school. Hey, uh, Todd, like- Todd there, I watched a video on YouTube where the, the Proud Boys and Antifa were fighting again, and they were chanting, Antifa, take a shower, Antifa, take a shower. <laughs> So it was the funniest thing because Clyde's like, I was in South America, Argentina, Venezuela, when they were having dirty wars. When your government is so corrupt that it uses tactics to control the population and the way things are going. And then they, what they do, Daniel, you can see it, they stage these groups and put it on the news. Daniel, do you know that, notice how the news only shows what they want you to see. Oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, actually, Twitter has really made me aware of that, that pretty much all of those talking heads out there are just that. They're talking heads, and they're just rattling off whatever whatever's on the agenda, whatever the narrative is. But my mind goes back to Charlottesville. I was, you remember Charlottesville where the girl... Somebody was ran over by somebody trying to get away from the protesters. Um, they focused in the press and they showed you there's neo-Nazis on the one side. And then there's uh, pro- uh, counter-protesters. They didn't call them Antifa. On the other side, and there was a big scene where somebody got killed. And forever after, they're playing out all the protests between it's neo-conservative Nazis on the right and Antifa communist, you know, anti-capitalist on the left. Do you see it? And they're getting all the attention on the news. Yeah, it's manipulation. It's definitely manipulation. There's no question about that. You couldn't buy two minutes of airtime for your idea, but they're getting a hundred percent of news coverage. Daniel, suddenly all the TV stations are down, where some Nazis are on one side and Antifa's on the other. Doesn't this sound funny? Yeah, and it's what the thing is. It's really weird. Is they say these guys are Nazis, but they're not even Nazis. They're just Trump voters. I don't see how they're Nazis. It's very strange. They're, they're, they're not Nazis, but the news pre- presents them as right-wing alternative extreme views. They question the Holocaust. Yeah, they're, some of them. They're trying to... They're, I'm watching that real close where, believe me, Clyde interviewed the head of the of the 
Christian right wing, the head guy, Billy Good or whatever his name was. And then he um, had a few other guys on and he was asking them, so why are you here? What, you know, the day before the protests on the show that night, what do you expect to do? And you should hear their comments because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Nothing gets accomplished. The big giant state machine moves on. And it's a scene. It's a theater. It's a show. See it down? It's a sideshow. Well, before this all went down, there was a lot of talk between uh, different talking bobbleheads like Maxine Waters and Alex Jones. I remember them specifically were riling people up, and Maxine Waters was talking about getting in people's faces. we got to do this, we got to do that. And then Alex Jones was saying, oh, Trump supporters have to get out there and blah, blah, blah. And then he was talking a lot about, oh, there's going to be a civil war on this day. There's a civil war coming. And it, and it turns out that they're, that was exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to manipulate everybody into having an actual civil war. And what you're seeing now are groups that are sponsored by the same group, the Illuminati, that are being paid to fight each other in, in the streets in order to uh, manipulate the rest of the population. Over in Europe, you can read all about how they use counter groups to fight in the streets. And there's the left and the right. Because the general population that works, they can't go protest and fight each other, right, Daniel? Yeah, it's it's just manipulation. It's a way of uh, <laughs> it's a way of riling up different political ideologies in order to mm-hmm. uh, get, play both sides against each other, and not only create a distraction, but get certain agendas on the table and create a dynamic where. Uh, create create a dynamic where they're just able to push things further and further and take more of our rights. The way away. they want it to go. The way they want it to go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They create their new world order, oh. open borders, uh, mind control, lots of chipping people and uh, socialist policies. That's where we're headed. Well, well, there's so many different avenues, this big giant black pyramid like your guests earlier, so, so incredible. Wow, one of your best shows, Karen. Talk about all the pyramids, they're all organized in pyramids. Suddenly my vision, you know, come back with a black pyramid. Fuck, it's a, it's a pyramidal system that just compartmentalizes and you always send the information to the top. But I told you, Daniel, the weakness of a pyramidal system. As knowledge travels up to the top, it, it, if it's, if humans are communicating it, it, it gets diffuse. People don't tell the truth the closer they get up to their superior. <laughs> and it was Robert Anton Wilson that I read that that said that. He's like, they call that the snafu principle. The further knowledge, you know, when your lower guy is telling you, sir, on the ground, this is what's happening. As it moves up the pyramid, it gets diffuse, like the telephone thing game <laughs> where you say one word in a circle and by the time it gets around you it's not the word <laughs> yeah i don't doubt it it's it's very sad because uh, these people they're obviously young people and they don't really know what's going on and it seems like you have oh, yeah. two types you have the um the richer sort of 
uh, lots of free time college kids that have very liberal ideologies, and then the other side is like the blue collar sort of, um, you know, the the Christian sort of blue collar, blue collar yeah. uh, military family sort information, of information. What information is available to them? Yeah. Yeah, and and these and it's they're they're all just being. And it's not just that. There's you know um, the mi- minority groups and. Uh, all kinds of and there who, are, who have never heard any of this. Who've never heard any of this. And there are genuine. Like Karen was saying, yeah. go down south to another civilization or country. There, look at their belief systems and then consider your own. Yeah, and there really are genuine white supremacists and neo Nazis and KKK members that are getting involved with it as well. I mean, they're not all just. Southern um, conservatives. There um, are people that are are into like racism. That that's that's nutball in my opinion. Um, you know, I'm the white. If you think that you're white and you're supremacist, you're pushing limits of where we're all human. You what what layer of uh, color of white are you? Are you down the scale? Or is it pink to brown? Is it we're all human. Your skin color doesn't matter. We're connected DNA-wise. They're separating us based on that. Everything they can. Yeah, absolutely. The color of your skin, the lowest. But if you notice, the people that are actually out there are the extremists. It's it's people that are just really strongly into uh, democracy and capitalism versus people that are really strongly into Marxism, communism, slash socialism. What it, what it is, what it is, Daniel, is somebody with money's financing somebody to come out with those views. Just, just, Todd, Todd, just, Todd, just like every communist revolution. Did you hear that? On the communists. Yeah, yeah, I did. On the communists. Yeah, every single communist um, revolution has been funded by the same people. Oh, totally. Wall Street bankers, the industrialists. The international financiers. The financiers. The big banksters. Um, the Zionists. Back, well, oh God, go all the way back, Goldsmith, if you want to know where bankers come from. Yeah, Rockefeller, well, Rothschild. Rockefeller Rothschild, but listen to this. What do you think um, uh, Sony's name stands for? So, is it J- Japanese, Daniel? Sony? Sony? Is that Japanese? I have no idea. No. It stands for Standard Oil of New York. What? You're, yeah, you're shitting me. Yeah, Rothschilds, the the the, the billionaire oil barons. Oh yeah, I and used the bankers. to. I used to work for a company that was under an umbrella corporate corporation underneath a, another international umbrella corporation that was owned by the Rothschild, the whole Rothschild interest. It was owned by them. Everything is. Everything is. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I heard the other night on Clyde's show, because Clyde's just killing it. So i got to recommend, go to Ground Zero. He's been shadow banned. He's been blocked. He's been <laughs> by this 
censorship before you started hearing there was censorship. So please go look up Pied that got on one of his shows. On one of his shows, uh, Daniel, they just probably chopped my brain right now yeah, for a second. <laughs> well, hey, Todd. On what you were saying, you what you what you, what you were just saying. Hey, Todd, I I better let you go, buddy. Okay, sounds good, my man. All right, right on. I'll talk to you again. Peace. Peace. And that was Todd the Bod. We are running out of time, so I figure we should probably get on with things, although I could end up talking to my buddy Todd for a good hour sometimes on this program, so got to make sure... Got to make sure that we leave some room for some of this other stuff that I wanted to talk about. I kind of overloaded my notes here. Um, mainly, one thing that I did want to talk about was the death of Art Bell. Some recent news surfaced. It was on Coast to Coast. It was all over Twitter, all over YouTube. It turns out that Art Bell wasn't actually, he didn't just die. He had four different drugs, like three or four different drugs in his system. And there are people, well, at least I have to wonder if that's a little suspicious. I know that Art was under a lot of stress. But I also know that he reported that there were people on his property shooting guns. And that was not that long before his passing. There was somebody trying to terrify him for whatever reason. It does seem to me that if you wanted to kill somebody and get away with it, injecting a bunch of different drugs that could create a bad reaction would be a good way to do it. I know people do take a lot of different drugs together and they do overdose, especially people that are under a lot of stress. But it does seem like it would be a way, it does seem like it would be a good way too off somebody if somebody still had that desire. Like, maybe, who knows? Who knows? You can't point fingers with things like that, but it just looks suspicious. I'm not saying that he didn't just overdose, but based on the fact that he was forced off air by a person that was trying to terrorize him, or who knows, maybe an organization, who's really to say what happened? Very sad to hear the entire thing. Uh, Art Bell, huge inspiration. I don't know what happened to Belgab. I don't know if it's because Art passed or what, but I tried to go to Belgab the other day. It was gone. Completely deleted. And I thought there was going to be a whole big Belgabathon, and I was going to participate again, and I go there, and it's just gone. I don't know if that has to do with Art passing. It would make sense, but kind of sad to see that because Belgab had been around for so many years. Oh, that totally brought me down, talking about art. Well, anyways, some other things that are going on. Apparently, there's some forest fires being started by some sort of high-tech beam weaponry. Not that long ago, there was a report of one of those beams somewhere in Washington, out there in the hinterlands, out there in the hills in the less populated areas. And I've seen, I'm seeing more and more pictures. There's one captured of one of these beams starting an actual forest fire, and it looks exactly like the one that was seen in Washington. So 
these these people, these elite, whoever they are, they have some kind of hidden technology. They have some kind of weapons that we can only imagine. You know, black, deep black budget military, deep black budget military industrial complex. Basically, they have anti-gravity, they have beam weapons, they have they have uh, invisibility, teleportation probably. They have all kinds of technology that they're hiding from us. And these chemtrails, that's part of it too. The white, mysterious white planes that disappear, whatever they're spraying, with, spraying us with, it's all part of the hidden secret bullshit that goes on in this very complex world that we live in. So, hey, you got to be careful. You don't want get to get hit by one of these beams. <laughs> There's technology that exists out there. And, and we always go back to that question, of, is it aliens? Is it demonic? What is behind a lot of this stuff? Is it just humans that are just really crafty? I don't really know. All I can say is I live on the Earth. I don't know how it's shaped. <laughs> There may or may not be space out there. There may or may not be other planets. There's definitely something that comes and visits us, whether it's an interdimensional being or a spiritual being or an alien. There seems to be different types and different things that we can interact with, and you can give them all sorts of labels and present all kinds of models, but I can say that much is true. There are other beings out there. I do believe in a life after death. How could I not? After all that I have seen. Oh, I saw a cool movie the other day, by the way. It actually made me laugh really hard. Apparently, it's a remake of an old movie. It's called Overboard. It has Anna Ferris in it. Really hilarious. I was just busting up laughing the whole time through. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but occasionally I do like to do a movie review. If I actually watch something that kind of stays with me that I actually care about for three seconds. So check out Overboard with Anna Ferris, star of a lot of cool movies. I think she was in uh, Observe and Report, wasn't seeing the scary movies, and what else? I don't know. I've always thought that she's pretty funny. And whenever she's in a movie, I'm o always positive that it's going to be funny. She's one of the few funny women out there. That's kind of sad to say. <laughs> um... We talked about Antifa versus the Proud Boys. Always fun to watch those videos. <laughs> Candace Owens. Candace Owens. She's some kind of important something or another. I always see her tweets on Twitter. I know she works for Trump. Let's see here. Candace Owens. So she is actually... She's an American conservative commentator and activist. And she's the director of an urban engagement at the conservative advocacy group Turning Point USA. So she's for Trump. But apparently she was just like jumped outside of a restaurant. Like they waited for her and like were right there in her face. Almost like it was some kind of gang stalking thing. There were like 50 people and they're yelling, down with white supremacy, down with white supremacy. They're yelling that in the face of a black woman. 
I watched the video. It was like the craziest thing that I've ever seen. It was like, <laughs> how do I even explain how weird that looked? Like a bunch of white people yelling at a black lady down with white supremacy. Like, aren't they basically like calling her like, like saying she's a white supremacist? Isn't that racist to say to a black person to call them like? say that they're say that there's something like that isn't that racist and the fact that you're like 15 white people that are going after one black person and yelling and blowing whistles in her face like a bunch of savages i mean come on i don't care what you think that this lady did i've seen plenty of her tweets on twitter she seems very nice I don't understand why any idiot would actually, like, wait outside of a restaurant for her. And, look, she was born in 1989. Oh, my God. She's only 28, 29. And she's such a big shot. I mean, somebody that age is just a child to me. I mean, but good for her. Good for her for uh, standing up to those people that were going after her like that. I mean, holy crap, how backwards is that? How backwards is that to, like, call a black lady a white supremacist? That just doesn't make sense. <laughs> Stop that, people. Stop that. Don't let yourself be manipulated. In this far-right extremism, this far-left extremism, it's all fake. Don't join in. Don't be manipulated. Be a leader. Don't be a follower. Be a wolf, don't be a sheep. Be a Daniel, not a... Well, let's not name names. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh my God, the mind-blowing moment of the day. You're blowing my mind. Mind-blowing moment of the day. You're blowing my mind, man. Mind-blowing moment of the day. Uh-oh, what's that? Is that a maraca? Is that a maraca? Is that a maraca? You're blowing my mind. You're blowing my mind. Oh. Oh. So, today's mind-blowing moment of the day, I think, would be when Karen was talking about having a brief bout of telekinesis. I think that that lady, I think she knows what she's talking about. And I think that all of you out there would agree. She was very smart. And I know from my own experiences and my own research that she was very on point and very knowledgeable about what she was talking about. And she knows exactly how it works. I mean, talking about how belief is the key, yes, that is true. That is really, that is really how you do it. And it's scary because it's a lot of power. And I would love to see somebody unlock it. Because I know what's possible. And you have to practice. <laughs> Is that irresponsible to like teach people how to unlock certain abilities? Oh, well. You know what? It's the 11th hour. It's too late to worry about stuff like that. We're in the end of days. This is when we need this knowledge. And we need to unlock these abilities. So we stand some sort of fighting chance. Or at least we might be able to do some cool party tricks. People listening are like, oh my god, this guy's crazy. <laughs> That's fine, it's fine. 
Uh, hmm. So there's this guy named Quanon or Q. He was this character that popped up on 4chan and 8chan. 4chan's like this big message board, very trendy place to hang out. Well, apparently, he this Q, character Q has been releasing all this information, saying Trump's doing that, he's doing this, he's doing that. We're chasing after pedophiles. Well, I never really paid that much attention to it. I have to say, I was kind of unaware. I kind of disconnected from that whole Alex Jones, Trump. Trump is against the Illuminati stuff, because I started to realize that it was a deception. I mean, I fully believed it. I'm sure a lot of you can remember that. I was fully believing that paradigm. But... I just I just can't resonate with that anymore. I can't. Because I just holy shit. I'm just so tired of all of this manipulation. I can't. I know that it's not real. I know that I mean come on. If Donald Trump was really against the Illuminati, I know this is gonna upset people, but again, why would he be so pro Israel? Why wouldn't he say, hey, we got to stop this. we got to stop this killing in Gaza. we got to stop this. Why would he be doing everything that the international bankers want him to do and move the embassy and you know, give all this recognition and support to Israel? I mean, if he was really against all that, he wouldn't be going after that whole thing first and putting a stop to it and ensuring that the people that live in that country get treated a little bit more fairly. That's how, you know, that's why I jumped off the Trump train. And that's why I'm just being real with y'all. And if you can't handle that, I'm sorry. I'm just being real and telling you what I believe. I cannot support what goes on in the killing of kids and stealing people's homes and the backwards sort of mentality of this is okay I can't handle that, and I cannot support anybody that supports that. Let's put it that way. And it just shows me that it just shows me that you can't trust anything that you see nowadays. And we all want there to be a hero out there. But this whole Q thing, um, it seems that that now anonymous who also some people have accused of being subverted and turned into a psyop. Well, I hope that's not true, but apparently Q and Anonymous are at war right now, or Anonymous has declared war on Q, and they're saying that Q is fake, that that whole thing about Trump going after the pedophiles and going after the deep state and all that, that it's it's just bullshit, it's cointel pro disinformation stuff, and now anonymous is wise to it, and they're gonna go after them. I don't know what to say about that exactly. It's interesting. <laughs> things are definitely getting very weird in this day and age, I mean even on the ground floor three d level. I never really paid that much attention to q. I just sort of. I feel like I just didn't care and I kind of saw through it from the beginning a little bit.
But now a lot of people are questioning that whole thing. And, you know, I wouldn't even know about it if it wasn't for social media. These things are, these social media platforms truly are turning into psyops platforms and methods of manipulation and control. And it's been proven. Look what happened with Mark Zuckerberg. There's so much happening out there in the world. And it's so hard to stay on top of all of it. And you just want to disconnect because it's all so crazy. It's all so fake. All these actors playing out their roles on this world stage that we call life. When's it ever going to end? Do we even want it to end? I have another listener email here. It says, Dear Daniel, why are you a religious nut all of a sudden when you used to be cool? What gives, man? Question mark. That's from McKinley. Okay, first of all, I'm not religious. I'm not religious at all. I'm not for organized religion. I don't go to church or anything like that. I was very biased against Christianity for a long time. Even though I think that I sort of always believed in some sort of source or some sort of God. But I was very biased and anti-Christian. and you know, Oh, that's control. That's my control. That's an operating system for your brain. But all that's happened is I kind of got over that. I kind of got over that negative bias against Christianity. Because I feel like there is a lot of spiritual knowledge contained within all of the scriptures and all of the various lost books and all the different Christian and Gnostic writings out there. I feel that there is a great deal of spiritual knowledge and truth within them, just like any other culture. And for me to dismiss that and not make it part of my model or part of my paradigm or part of my belief system at all, that would, seem, uh, that would not seem like the truth. So that's really the only thing that's happened with me is I've simply, I, I haven't gone religious, but I, I just have totally loosened up on this whole idea that I can't believe in God, I can't believe in Jesus, or I can't believe in uh, Lucifer or Satan or anything like that. I, there's got to be some kind of truth to Christianity, but so much of it does make sense. Like there being a fallen one named Lucifer that's deceiving us all. Lucifer means light. It makes too much sense. And even if Lucifer is not real, he's still real. (laughs) Because the concept of Lucifer is real. And that's something that can't be erased or denied. Nor can it be denied the fact that the hidden elite seem to be Luciferian. Or perhaps they are reptilian aliens, (laughs) depending on who you ask. There are so many questions and not enough enough answers. And it all could be part of a deception, or parts of it could be, how could we ever really know? If you think about it hard enough, I'm sure your brain will explode. So don't try too hard. But just, I think it's okay. I think it's okay if you have a little bit of faith in something, like a higher power or an energy or whatever it is, I think having some sort of understanding of that and belief of that, the basic forces that created the universe and are in charge of things are good, I think that can go a long way in helping you live a more peaceful life. Because at some point you just got to just kind of to hell with it. 
to hell with it. Like all the different options out there. Is it this? Is it that? Is it Buddhism? Is it Hinduism? Is it is it Cracker Jacks with peanuts? Like, how would you ever really know the answers to those questions? At some point, you just kind of have to let it go, and you have to find something that is something that can make you happy besides chasing rabbits, <laughs> right? I mean, eventually you have to – I'm not saying, like, not search things out, but I'm saying that – Eventually, you have to realize that there's an infinite rabbit hole that you will never get to the bottom of. It just goes on and on and on. And the more that you learn, the more you truly learn that you do not know. And the more you try to grasp it and the more you try to crawl and scrape towards it, the greater the mystery becomes. That's why it doesn't really work. That that's why it doesn't always work looking for a paranormal or a conspiratorial explanation for things. 